tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007, our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show is Ireland's neutrality being diluted. More drivers expressing their frustration about our roads. We have issues with disability parking in Cashel. RTE's teletext service, Airtel, will close next week after nearly 40 years in service. And this was a surprise to me because I thought it was closed years ago, but there you go. It seems to be uh, causing quite a bit of um, uh, conversation and controversy. Uh, the Gardaí will uh, bring us up to speed about what's been happening around the county. We've hidden histories with uh, Dr. Connor Reedy today. And we have gardening with Alton Nesbitt. And uh, as always, we urge you to um, get your gardening queries into us as soon as you possibly can, please, on 083 311 for text or WhatsApp. And, of course, you can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, first this morning, you know we talk a lot about scams on the show in an effort to make people aware, I suppose, of various ways that scammers try to con people. Well, there was a post on social media from a lady warning about how her elderly parents were targeted. And uh, let me just bring you a little of what she wrote. She says, My parents got scammed today in the Thurless area by a group of men in a blue transit van. They came to my parents' home. They made out they were the usual guys that do the gutters and downpipes. And my mum and dad were both scared because they came into the house and they were not small men and they told them to pay up. My mum said that neither of them had cash so they said my dad could go to the ATM and they'd wait. My father knew then that it was a scam and he knew that if he gave them money they would go away. As soon as my dad left they followed him to the bank to make sure he went in and also to intimidate him. They are both in contact with the Gardaí, but they wanted me to put up something just to make everybody else aware. It's disgusting behaviour. They live in a quiet estate with no trouble ever. Please look out for your neighbours and the elderly, says this person on social media. So again, a blue transit van, and we're just wondering if anybody else out there um, has any experience of those men who are making their way around, certainly the Thurless area, if not uh, a broader area. 83 311 Let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. Uh, budget speculation and uh, information, I suppose, right across the newspapers uh, today, as you can expect. Uh, the Independent telling us that the economy is expected to fall into recession this year, with the ESRI now warning the government against budget tax cuts that go beyond uh, inflation. And that comes, of course, as the Children's Minister, Roderick O'Gorman, pushes for a 25% cut in childcare costs as uh, budget talks come to a head. The Irish Examiner, and again reference there to the budget, uh, the days of surging corporation tax receipts are over, the Finance Minister has warned as budget uh, negotiations um, just uh, move up a notch. Also on the Examiner today, a year on from the government announcing a €50 million Euro initiative to fit solar panels in every school in the country, not a single panel has been put in place. 
Also a cautionary tale on the examiner today. A woman who was blackmailed into sending hundreds of naked photos of herself online as a child has issued a stark warning to parents about children's unmonitored access to the internet. And that's something we speak about quite a lot here on the programme. Uh, the Irish Daily Mail and their main story, six foot high barriers will be deployed as part of a ring of steel at Leinster House on Budget Day next Tuesday amid concerns over a repeat of the ugly protests seen last month as it's described there in the mail. Also uh, the Irish Times and again the um, the budget um, making headlines here. Economic growth uh, set for sharp slowdown according to the ESRI. Also as you know we're kind of fascinated on the programme with uh, American politics and uh, the big story I suppose out of the States has to be that Kevin McCarthy has been ousted as Speaker of the House of Representatives uh, becoming the first leader in the lower chamber of uh, Congress to be removed and it was a very dramatic 2016 20, uh, sorry I beg your pardon 216 to 210 uh, vote yesterday afternoon the House uh, endorsed a motion to vacate to in effect I suppose fire and Mr McCarthy from the uh, speakership well, it's very interesting to see what's going on there. Alright that's a look at what's making headlines if you want to make comment on any of that we'd love to hear from you 083 311 Now the tarnished Micheál Martin has defended uh, the decision to allow Irish soldiers to provide basic rifle training to Ukrainian soldiers as non-lethal aid arguing that it's humanitarian to defend your people and Mr Martin made the comments during a visit to Ukraine for a, an extraordinary meeting of the EU Foreign Affairs uh, Council. But is it a further dilution of our neutrality? And we posed this question on our social media platforms yesterday and Willie joins me now. Willie, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you again, Willie. Um, what are your thoughts on this Irish neutrality? Well, I'd say, I'd say Fran, we have to have a more mature debate about it. There's a kind of a as a knee-jerk response to it, and it tends to be dominated, I see, from this extreme kind of a left-wing mentality who are ideologically anti-American, anti-NATO, nearly, nearly anti-everything in a lot of ways, and shout the loudest, but maybe have less to, least to say, maybe, in any rational point. It's just, it's just ideology. It's just knee-jerk stuff. I mean, we're living in a different reality. That's, that's the long and the short of it. The world has changed around us. And, I mean, do you believe then, as obviously Michal Martin does to some extent, that we need to reevaluate our neutrality status um, at this point? Well, sure, Fran, I mean, we're a small country, we're a small island nation, and we're never going to have the kind of military firepower or, the milit or, or, or naval firepower that other countries would have of a much larger size. I mean, we have a massive, massive... Uh, sea area. I mean, we, we couldn't possibly push the kind of force we need. And even even if we could, I mean, would it would it do any good? I mean, we're talking about an era today where some spotty fella in a in a, with a computer could do more harm in terms of hacking and cyber attacks and all the rest of it than any uh, armed force. And that's part and parcel of what we have to look at. I mean, we have to change world changes around us. Otherwise, we're like the dinosaurs. We've become extinct. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a completely different a different climate out there than what was out there even 20-odd years ago. Um, and I think we have wh to... Why uh, should that influence our decision to be 
neutral. And, and to be neutral is not necessarily to be inactive, Willie. I mean, it could be something we're very good at in terms of promoting peace and uh, peacekeeping well, we, and the we, like. We, we've never been neutral, Fran. I mean, we need to we need to wake up to that reality. I mean, we worked throughout World War Two in various ways to support the war effort and the Allies. I mean, if you want an example of that, the Normandy landings went ahead on the strength of information that we provided from the weather stations and all the rest of it up and down the west coast of Ireland. I mean, we knew what we were providing it for. It wasn't for the blight warning to spray the spuds. It was for military purposes. Shannon Airport has been used for 20-odd years at this stage. Now, you can agree or disagree, but that's the reality of it. Mm. I mean, we're not neutral. We, we, we are on paper. That's about it. And, and I think we have to face up to that reality and, and, and deal with the realities. Frankly. And didn't a lot of people sit up and take notice, though, Willie, when the the president, when Michael D came out, and he did warn that we're you know, abandoning our neutrality and we're, we're sort of drifting where our foreign policy is concerned. I mean, I, and specifically, let me ask you, if we are sending troops to to train Ukrainian soldiers in terms of using rifles, now you can dilute that as much as you want and say, oh, you know, it's 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 not sniping. And this, but if we're doing that, is that not breaching neutrality anyway? Because, I mean, there's nothing more lethal than a rifle. If you're teaching somebody how to use a rifle, it's not to be out playing in the in the local park. It's to go and kill people. You're, you're absolutely right, man. But that's the mature conversation that has to be had rather than relying on this megaphone student, you know, debating society level where if you just shout old, old facts and old things from the 1970s, I mean... Michael D, look, I have great time for him. I voted for him. I think he's a great president in a lot of ways. But he comes from this very culture of the extreme left, blah, blah, blah. I mean, here's a man who went out promoting Cuba back in the day and, and Castro back in the day. You'll never hear him talking about the 5,500 people or 6,000 people that Castro put up against the wall and shot in his firing squad. You'll never hear that from the Michael D ideology. You know, it's all America is terrible, America is terrible, and this kind of thing. But that's, that's the only mantra that, that they present. And it just look, it follows through into this debate, too. The, the majority of Irish people, in whatever poll you want to point towards, Willie, though, I mean, you know, we want to hang on to our neutrality, even if that's just some sort of a notion of neutrality. Mm-hmm. And I suppose what's behind that? And I mean, I, I'm not sure about you, Willie, but certainly I don't want to see my son or my daughter heading off to be part of a war that, that really, you know, is not of our concern. But you see, Fran, I'm glad you used that point because I was going to bring it up. I mean, this that's the mantra. That's this, this emotional thing that's thrown out there. I mean, 60, 70 miles up the road from, from Dublin, you're in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland is part of the UK. It's in NATO has been for the last 60-odd years or more at this stage. I mean, correct me if I'm mistaken, dear uh, fan, but I don't think there's been any mass conscription of people marched off to war, your sons or daughters or anywhere else. It doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. It's just an emotional, you know, and, and the people on social media appeal to that with the, 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 the banner headline. 
it doesn't actually mean but, anything. But, but it has never are, happened. I, I mean, I know that we're, we're not part of it at the moment, but people have grave concerns even about some sort of a, a European defence pact that okay. could lead to some possibility of some sort of a, a European army or something. I mean... Well, you see, we have that, we have that comfort, Fran, in that we're so far away from the cold face. Mm. I mean, if you ask the people in Poland who have that, still have that, that, what would I put it, that knowledge or that community kind of based reality of what they went through mm. under Second World War and the mm. First World War, they would give you a very different answer. Like, they're looking across the border at a belligerent mass state with, you know, an army which would rifle the rest of Europe. Mm. I mean, they'd give you a very different answer. But, but, and, and, and every one of the other countries that are satellite countries who have that kind of a, a genetic... But or, is, or, isn't or, it or, interesting about Poland at, at the moment in that, that they're rowing back in terms of their support for Ukraine at the moment? You know, like it's... Um... Yeah, and I think that's, that's kind of based on that natural reaction that so many people have come across the border. I mean, they're seeing multiples of what we are seeing. Mm. That's, you know, that's the reality of it. That does lead to localise, you know, whether there is kickback against it and that happens. That It's mm. happening here. You, you you know, you see it in small communities here and there where there's a hall being used or there's a proposal to use a vacant hotel or something mm. else and mm. suddenly they're all up in arms protesting up and down the road with, with putting out barriers on the road. I mean, you see that here too. It's not it's not unexpected. Mm. But, but you, I mean, but, yeah, I, I'm just careful about those. I mean, okay, like unscrupulous actors, as they're known as nowadays, might well infiltrate a group like that. But I mean, you know, a natural protest to something happening in your area that you're not supplied information on and that you're not fully made aware of what the possible consequences are. I mean, is that not okay? I mean, okay, if that's infiltrated by the so-called far-right nutcases who want to make something else of it or something racist about it, that's that's different. But, you know, what is wrong with people expressing fear and saying, well... Not, nothing at all, Fran, nothing yeah. at all. But where, where are they getting their information from? Because there's a runaway train of emotion and it's based on that five-second or ten-second banner headline from social media, which by and large, is usually complete and utter baloney, you know, when you drill down into it. Mm. And yeah, the message, look, I, I don't disagree with you. The message could get across better sometimes where where facilities are, are proposed to be used or what they'll be used for. There's no doubt about that. And there's room for a lot better communication. But, you know, you can't just bring it forward and, and feed a diet of hate, hate, hate based on ignorance at times, you know, complete ignorance of facts, complete ignorance of, of but, but reality. But not, not, not every protest is about hate, hate, hate. It, I mean, it might be people's natural fears about a community, or it might be, do you know... Like... Well, in- increasingly so, it's becoming a very ugly space. I mean, you, I mean, we saw what went on in Dublin there only a couple of weeks ago, and look, mm. that was absolute, it was as bad as anything we've seen in... in you know, in America or anything else, this is just complete and utter people just out with a license to do anything, say anything, act in any way and think there's no consequence. Yeah, but, but even it's the reality of that so-called ugly mm. protest, there was about 200 people involved. Of the 200 people involved, there was a tiny percentage of them who were bad actors, who were people that, that wanted a, a skirmish. Um, so, like, 
the, the, the numbers are rather small in terms of that. Are we making too much of something like that? Well, I think, Fran, you're right. The numbers are small, but growing exponentially. And if they're allowed to grow, where, where does it get to? That's the problem. I mean, we've, we've, we've seen a scenario across the water in our, in our nearest neighbours where in the last number of years, two um, MPs have been killed mm, yes. in their constituency offices, murdered in cold blood. One young woman who was... And this is just goes to the point that it's not any factional thing. It's just anyone that they can target. Mm. One was a young woman who was a Labour Party... Uh, MP and the other was a man in his late 60s who was a Tory party mm. MP backbencher is not of any great you know national significance mm. but they were murdered in their offices in their constituency offices by this kind of angry mob mentality that's been fed and God almighty I'd, ra- I'd rather cut it off at the nip it in the bud now rather than let it mushroom into something else And do you not think that you know, that the ground becomes fertile for this kind of protest, ugly protest, as it's been described. If if there's not information, if there's not debate, you know, if, if people are not allowed to have their their say, you know, because... No, you're, you, yeah, you're right, man, but I mean, the debate, I mean, the debate is so polarised. I mean, I've seen it on, you say, social media, and it doesn't matter whether it's Simon Coveney or Michael Mark or Liam Brack or whatever else. If they go abroad and they're in UN or wherever they are, and that's their legitimate role. You know, they're they're attacked and vilified on social media. Oh, they're warmongers, and oh, they're all, they're only out there playing the big shot, and etc. 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 I mean, the debate is so polarized, it's so mm. negative, it's so attack orientated. I mean, it, it is poisonous. And look, it's, it's and, time. And Willie... I'm not going to say we should or we shouldn't be in NATO or we should or we shouldn't talk about neutrality but yes. or we should or we shouldn't be in it but God almighty friend we have to have an irrational debate about it but our, our, our tarnished and our Minister for Foreign Affairs uh, Michal Martin if he goes to a grouping the the one you described there the one that ended up in Kiev of, of Foreign Affairs Ministers and if he was the one to stand up and say whoa whoa lads here for a moment you know I'm representing the Irish people I'm representing a neutral country here and can we not begin to talk in some way about peace, about the possibility of peace, you know. Yeah, you're, it's a fair, it's a very valid point. It's a fair point, but what do you do, Fran, when you're dealing with complete and utter tyranny? I mean, we've been here before in history. But I we, mean, but Chamberlain famously, famously came home waving this letter in 1938 or 36, whatever it was, peace in our time. Yes. The great deal he had done with. Hitler's and Germany, it said he appeased he, was, he appeased Hitler at the time. That's, and we saw where that where that ended up. I mean, that ended up in five years of world war and, and millions yeah. on millions. And and, and I know Hitler. that he is much maligned through history for that appeasement of Hitler. Oh. I, I funnily enough, I, I have a more benign view on that in that he made an attempt at least to stop what yeah, what you, became you, a devastating, a globally you devastating. Would say, was the attempt just pure naivety? It was used. He was, I mean, let's face it, man. I mean, Putin would sign anything today, and it's just a meaningless piece of paper if he thought there was an advantage to him next week or next month and then tear it up again. Mm. That's what, that's the reality of what you're dealing with. Mm. There is no goodwill, there is no good faith, yes. none of any description. But, but you take my point, as you and I are talking here now, hundreds um, of soldiers are, are dying. 
if not thousands, on a daily basis in this conflict. You know, and it's largely young men who are out there. You know, on both sides now, it seems to be they're conscripted, they're they're forced into this. Um, that that's is that not a moral well, shame? I, I, it, it is, man. No. It is, and as they always say, war is failure of of failure of politics or a failure of, of diplomacy or whatever it is. But yeah, it, that's fine in the ideal world. The college debate and society put out these academic arguments, but. As I said just already, I mean, the people in every satellite country, up and down, from from Poland to the former, you know, Ukraine itself, Lithuania, these countries, they would take a very, very different view of that because they know the reality of it. We haven't had that reality in this country, thanks be to God. We haven't, you know, we haven't lived with that since 1920s or whatever, and we've moved on from there in a lot of ways. But, you know, it's a very, we're in a very different place than where they are. Yeah, even even though, you know, I mean, if you just take a couple of generations back because of poverty in this country and because of how we were under the thumb of Great Britain, an awful lot of Irish men had to take the option of going to war in the First World War, uh, to take the Queen's okay, shilling and stuff, you know, so... Yeah, and were vilified, vilified when for When they came back, so, for, for sure. In a lot of cases. Absolutely, you know, for sure, yeah. They were absolutely yeah. ostracised. We're, we're nearly ashamed to say that they had thought. I mean, I, I had this conversation with a man at Temple Moor a while back. We just happened to be down in the cemetery doing something, and he said, my grandfather fought in, he would love to put up a, a plaque or something on the headstone. He said he was afraid to do so still because he said, would it be vandalised? Mm. You know, that, that mentality is still there. There's a yob of a mob element, you know, who thinks it's okay to go down there and vandalise a plaque he might put up on his own family headstone, yes. marking his family's, his grandfather's fighting in, in, in the First World War. You know, it's that, still that bizarre. It's, it's interesting. And Willie, that. can I ask you a final question? Do you go along with the notion that it's time to reevaluate our neutrality and maybe not to. I mean, you know, they're describing ourselves that we're, we're not politically neutral, but we're militarily. Yeah, neutral in some way. No, I, I, I find that sort of a, a bit vague and ambiguous to me. But anyway, uh, but do you well, think is it time to sit down and say, look, call a spade a spade here? I think so, Fran, and it's time for an honest debate, an honest debate that's not based in rhetoric, that's not based in just old ideologies. Mm. It's up to the realities of the world we're in today. You know, we're not, we're not still living in some land of milk and honey. We can be attacked in the morning with cyber attacks or just that the other which would cripple us I mean there are new realities out there the world isn't the same place and I think we have to have an honest conversation about it without just attacking and shooting the messenger Alright well Willie always excellent to talk to you and you always make uh, great arguments thank you so much for coming on with me Willie thank you Take care friend Thank you good morning to you 1800 the text and whatsapp is only 3 311 listen says I certainly don't want to see any of my children or grandchildren or anybody else's children for that matter fighting uh, somebody else's war we should remain as uh, peacekeepers it says here uh, lots more in on that, but I, I, I just want to have a glance through it before I bring it uh, to you. We'll take a break back in just a moment. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Oh, Pat was on to us and he's very clear. He says sending our soldiers to train Ukrainian soldiers is getting involved in this uh, war. And uh, that's into us on 083 Rather thoughtful WhatsApp to us as well. It says, uh, it's not emotional to not want your son or daughter to be marched off to fight in a manufactured war. Our neutrality is a precious thing that needs to be protected in a world that's become polarised. Most of the wars fought in the last 80 years were manufactured because of geopolitical interests. Any politician or special interest mouthpiece that tries to steer us in the direction of abandoning neutrality needs to be held accountable, says one of our listeners. Kevin is with me now. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning, Frank. Good to talk to you today, Kevin. I think you're concerned about the sort of ambiguity that surrounds neutrality and what it is and the like. Yeah, I I suppose, look, I think Neil Martin was effectively right in his statement around saying that um, people have a right to defend their sovereignty and and they have a right to collective self-defence and so on. I do think the provision of training by Irish soldiers in Ukraine around the use of any weapons at all, um, it, it... challenges uh, the position we have, like our, our, our position on neutrality. And I think there's an ambiguity there. And like we should know, as a state, we should know whether or not this kind of training should be provided. There's obviously a number of ongoing conflicts in, across the world at the moment, but the Ukraine conflict has gone on for a year and a half. It's, you know, in Europe in, in many respects. And it's, it's not useful for us as a, as a nation... Uh, committed to neutrality, that we are not clear on whether or not that kind of training could be provided in those conflicts. I think neutrality is a really important part of the um, of Irish foreign policy. I think it's something that we should be proud of. I think it's something that we should hold on to. And if you set aside, I suppose, uh, a conversation about, and uh, I think people were talking about manufactured war and, and so on uh, a moment ago, which I think is probably reasonably fair. If you set it aside and look at what Ireland has to offer in respect of global conflict and, 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 and so on. Like, to my knowledge, and it's not a comment on, on the Irish Defence Forces or anything like that, there is nobody out there waiting for Ireland to intervene militarily in such a fashion that it will have a significant impact on any globe, any conflict happening across the world. But we do have an enormous amount to offer in terms of peace and reconciliation. Even if you look at our work in the last number of years in Colombia and what's going on there, our work on the UN Security Council in the last couple of years. Like we, we built our position on the UN Security Council around three pillars, which was building peace, strengthening conflict prevention, and ensuring accountability. I think if you're in a position where you're engaging in the provision of support in Ukraine or anywhere else that challenges those things, you have to balance it with um, kind of essentially talking about where we can be most effective. Um, like it is, if, and I think if I was in Michal Martin's position, um, I would like to think that I would test some of the boundaries in relation to the kind of support that we should be providing, because we should be providing Ukraine with as much support as we possibly can within the confines of our own commitments around neutrality. But like, we're not a military powerhouse; we're, we never will be. 
one either. And I think we have a lot more to offer when it comes to talking about peace, reconciliation uh, and preventing conflict in the first place. I think that's where we need to focus, setting aside our obvious constitutional commitment to neutrality. Um, that's where we can be strongest. Like, I mean, there's a book coming out in December called The Small Faith Club. It's written by um, Armin, I can't pronounce his surname, but Sarkissian, mm. I think. He's a former president of Armenia, and it talks about 10 states in the world, 10 small states in the world that have an enormous influence on global politics. And Ireland is one of them, it's one of the countries that he talks about. And the chapter does not talk about our military influence. It talks about our soft power influence uh, and our commitment to building peace and so on. I think that's what we should be focusing on. And I think that it's not useful at this juncture that we are this far into a conflict that has been so well covered, um, both in Europe and across the world, that we're not actually clear on whether or not rifle training should be provided um, in Ukraine or anywhere else, for that matter. That's a very eloquent contribution, and thank you for it, Kevin. Um, I, I would put it to you, though, that, I mean, the notion of neutrality... For, for for my money, anyway, would be that you do not help where, where, you know, lethal aid is concerned. And what is not lethal about training somebody to use a rifle? Oh, I agree with you. I, I think no. that it's not, uh, like, um, I, 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 I think that that, like, very clearly challenges our notion of neutrality. I think that one of the problems that exists at this point is that, like, we don't, we don't know or it's not um, well-established enough that the government decided to not provide that training. You know, like, we're in a position where that training was provided. I think maybe they weren't as clear about it being provided back in July as probably people would have liked them to be, and that's what's brought about some mm -hmm. of the conversation in the last while. We shouldn't be providing that. Um, I think it is lethal training, um, and I think it, it creates challenges for us in terms of... And and Our would you, do you neutrality and so on? And do you believe, Kevin, that this is directly against the wishes of the Irish people when poll after poll informs us that by far the majority, sixty something percent, I think, in the last poll, uh, wants us to hang on to to our neutrality? Uh, yeah, I, I think it would create. It certainly would create discomfort for people. Like on the other hand, you're in a position whereby I don't think Ireland of all nations. Can, would struggle to understand what it is like to have an empire dedicated to conquest as your next door neighbour. You know, like, so there is a, a capacity for us to empathise with, um, with you, the position of Ukraine that maybe not all countries would have. And so I think there's a, there's a, a willingness, and quite rightly a willingness, to provide as much humanitarian aid to provide as much support as we can. Because, like, this is a war of aggression being conducted by Russia against Ukraine. Mm. They are, like, Ukraine are, are, are trying to defend their sovereignty, trying to defend their people and so on. So, like, I don't want, because I, I think sometimes it, the, the waters get a little bit muddy um, when, when this conversation comes up. I don't want to get into a position where I'm trying to um, um, equivocate on what Russia is doing um, and has been doing in that region for decades. Um, you know, like, there is a determination there to re-establish orders similar to what existed under the USSR. Um, and, and they'll keep going, I think, until they... Or at least they will try to keep going until they achieve that. Um, 
So I, I just didn't, I just want to be extremely clear on that. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I do think it would be uncomfortable for a lot of Irish people to find out that that training was provided. I don't think it probably should have been yeah. provided. And I don't think that we are most useful as a nation providing that kind of training, considering what we have to offer when it comes to peace, when it comes to reconciliation, and when it comes to... Um, but like, there's plenty of countries in the business of war, basically, and we should focus on the, the, what we are good at, which is uh, peace and, and neutrality. And a lot of semantics happening over the, the the next while. Maybe you can help me with this when the Tarnishta spoke about how our neutrality might evolve. Now, I'm not sure. How can you evolve a neutrality? I mean, you're either, it's like being a little bit pregnant. You're, you're either neutral or you're not neutral, you know? How can you evolve a neutrality? So this is, this is kind of, I, I suppose, what I was referencing in relation to the ambiguity that exists. Like, I, I do think there, are, like, there needs to be a more robust conversation about what neutrality actually means, what it is we can and cannot provide. Like, I don't think that that training should have... It, I think it's in direct conflict with the idea that we are a, a neutral nation. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think a previous speaker was talking about how there's, you know, we've never really been neutral. And, then, you know, that's a conversation as well. Mm. But it, it's, not, it's not useful that 18 months or so into this conflict, we're in a position where we technically, we can technically fudge the numbers to allow the provision of lethal training um, in Ukraine. And, you know, I, I think that that's... I think a more robust conversation about what neutrality is, what it means, and what we can and cannot do um, is required in order to be clear about the provision of these kinds of supports. I know that there is some appetite for changing it, um, and I, I think people frequently reference and reference like an evolving world and things are changed and it's not like it used to be and so on. Um, and look, that's fair enough. But I actually, like, I, I think neutrality has been a cornerstone of Irish foreign policy for a very long time and you don't just give up on that notion because it becomes difficult. Like we're not the only country that's committed to neutrality that has struggled over the course of this conflict in particular to determine what can and cannot be done. Switzerland over the summer had major challenges in relation to what it could do and whether or not Swiss-made weapons could be resold and so on. Swiss-made weapons that were, that were going to Ukraine could be resold to... to be restocked, pardon me. Um, so, like, countries that have issues with, or that have commitments to neutrality have struggled over the course of this conflict to determine what that actually means. Um, but, but that doesn't mean and, that and we give up on it yes, or, and, and or you, you ground allude, on it. You alluded to it there yourself. I mean, just because you might be pro neutrality, it, it, it doesn't mean to say that you're stupid enough to realise uh, that you know what what Russia did to a sovereign state was completely out, out of bounds. You know, I mean that that goes without saying for most most thinking people. But I mean, it doesn't mean to say that you can't speak about about Ireland's neutrality without you know the impression given that you're pro Russia in some way or pro the Russian action in in Ukraine. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And like like even from and I, I kind of alluded to this earlier on from an objective point of view if you look at what ireland has to contribute on a global stage um what it has to contribute militarily pales in significance in in comparison to what it can do in relation to those three pillars i talked about when we were on the un security council around peace Absolutely. and conflict prevention and so on and like even from that point of view if you look at the contributions we've made militarily to un peacekeeping missions 
Um, like that's where we've made our most significant military contributions. I think it is really, really important. It's, a, it's, it's important to have neutral countries in general in order to kind of advance this, uh, to, to advance uh, the cause of peace. Um, and like any country can be neutral when everyone, you know, at, at peacetime. It's now just a little bit more difficult for us than it has been. Don't think that means giving up ground on neutrality. I think it means having a more robust conversation so that people like myself and yourself and everyone else can be confident in what it is that we can provide and what we should be providing. Uh, and I think that's more humanitarian in nature uh, than, than um, military. Well, well said to you, Kevin, and uh, great to talk to you today. Thanks thanks for your time, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How about you now? 1800 I'm always struck by the uh, eloquence of many of our contributors, and uh, thanks to uh, Kevin uh, there for that. And of course, before that, we heard from, from Willie. Um, all right, we'll take a break. Back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, listener says uh, the Irish government sent Irish troops to Mali to train their forces for years. What is the difference here now having Irish troops training Ukrainian uh, soldiers to defend themselves. I mean, you're making a very good point. And when we speak about neutrality, needless to say, we're not just talking about what's been happening in U- Ukraine. And you did right. I mean, you know, I think it was 30 or 40 uh, troops we sent over to uh, Mali, essentially peacekeeping mission for, for the UN. But certainly there was training of local uh, Malian troops to go and fight battles in, in, in the north of the country. And again... Again, you can't help but ask the question: Does that um, does that affect our neutrality as well? Anyway, oh eight three three double one double three double one. Now again, over the last uh, few days and into uh, last week, we were discussing road safety, the state of our roads, and we had lots of people interacting with us on this. I'm delighted to be joined now by an old friend of mine and somebody who's contributed to the program quite a lot over the years. Pat Bernan is with me. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning to you, friend. Uh, good, to, good to talk to you. I know you were listening to, to at least some of our conversations, Pat, yeah. but, but you had a, an experience. You, you were driving up north recently. Yeah, I was actually with our, our friend Paul Hennessy last week in uh, in Leitrim for a week working. But we, I went up to the north and a few things to do up there. So it's, it's been a while since I've driven up there. So I went in by Enniskill and then I drove all the way over by Lisburn, Banbridge Town and the county down and a few places like that. But the, I noticed straight away that we were in a, that I was in a different zone. The quality of the roads number one, but the speed limit number two, and the way they drove number three, I could not believe. It. Better, I you mean that? Was it? Yes, 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 okay. yes so much better. Yeah. The minute we went over the border, we went into um, a sixty mile an hour zone, and everybody did fifty eight. Wow! Like I really, tr- I tried to set my cruise control at sixty, and it, it was too fast. So I had to pull it back. And I felt that was the way of for the day I was up there. There was a couple of roads I was on and when you're I suppose when you're when you're somewhere strange you try to keep an eye on speed limits to make sure you don't you, you don't get caught or anything sure, or, yeah. or doing anything wrong. And there was a few roads I was on and I was just I had the sat nav on and I just checked to see I wonder what speed limit is here. And I looked down and I was doing forty miles an hour and the speed limit happened to be forty. And about 20 minutes later, I was in another area and I said, oh, I, I'm, I wonder what the speed limit is here. And I, I looked at my clock and I was doing about 30 miles an hour and the limit was 30. 
So I felt the, the speed limits really matched the standard of the road. Because, hand on heart, the first, I broke the speed limit the minute I came back into Ireland because it was an 80k road and I realised I was doing a bit faster and I pulled back. But the roads up there, they really matched the speed limit. And why, also, why do you think drivers were adhering to the limits, Pat? I mean, is policing but, yeah, better? Is policing more obvious, policing, for example? Well, it was, policing was a little more obvious. I did meet two or three uh, police cars pulled up, but I, there was no speed cameras, number one, which I do think are, are a joke because, like, even from us driving around the country like this, like, you know where they're going to be. These are the speed um, vans, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know yeah. where they're going to be, and yeah. it's supposed to be deterrent, but it's only deterrent for that 100 yards. Plus, people are flashing all the time with them then, which, you, you know, just foreign against that. I think it's foreign, foreign if they're catching easy victims in, mm. in, in little simple areas. But, um, yeah, so the North, it was so different like that. The speed limits, I thought, were obeyed. I couldn't believe it. And another thing, it started to rain at one point, And automatically, I could see the whole place just pulling back a little. That's something that doesn't happen in Ireland. Not at all. And it doesn't Not happen in the South. Like, if it rains, people don't allow for the different conditions, the slippery roads, etc. But I, I was really, I was taken aback in a, in a lovely way. I said, this is really cool. Look, people are respecting each other. I didn't see tailgating. Um, well. Now, I could have been, I'm not saying it's not there. Of yeah, course yeah, it's there. Yeah, but yeah. on my experience on that day that I was driving around there, I couldn't really, and another thing, a pet hate of mine, <laughs> motorway driving. Mm. People go on the right, the speed, the fast lane and don't pull in. Yes. You're supposed to pull out, mm. pass, and pull in. Everyone did it. And it actually led to a, I know it went smoother, but everyone could see. You know, you could see someone come behind you, they passed, they went in, and it was just, it's just the way it's supposed to be. And the outside lane was kept for passing. And I think that's a very safe way as well. And what about um, what about the condition of the roads, Pat? Because I remember back in the eighties when we would travel from the south up to the north to do yeah. gigs. I mean, you knew immediately you were across the border because the roads just improved dramatically. What what's the situation there like now? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's still the same. The roads quality, but what, what I, apart from the quality, the smaller the, the the smaller. And I was on some of the very small roads. Some of them they were that little bit wider. They didn't have much of a grass margin, but the tarmac went to the edge, and there was no there was no potholes, of course. But even the narrow roads, I have the, the, the big van, and mm. I still had no problem passing anyone on the smaller roads because they're just that little bit wider. Tarmac goes right to the edge, and of course, and they are smooth. They're like billiard tables. There's no doubt about it. And another thing I noticed, and I don't know why this is, but even when the rain was falling up in the north that day, there was no pools of water gathering. It On was the only roads. when we hit back yeah, yeah. we hit back through Cavan again that evening. And I realized that's where there was pools of water on the main road. That it hadn't flown off or it wasn't whatever way they get water to go down. It wasn't there. There was pools of water. So it led to aquaplaning for some people if it gets extreme. That we didn't see in the north. Again, I might have been just in the wrong time or the right time at the wrong place or whatever. I didn't see it at all. It rained and there was no pools on the road. And pools are so dangerous because that's where, you know, aquaplaning and sliding, particularly for smaller cars. But um, it it really opened my eyes. I I thought the respect they have for the law to... I think that was evident. And the, the, the other thing that we kept hearing from listeners um, in terms of their gripes about what's happening on the road is the ditches being overgrown, for example, particularly on those back roads that you speak about, Pat. Um, experience mm. of that? 
Yeah, they were all, all trimmed back now. I suppose they are trimmed back. I've seen around our home at the moment. They're all cut back in. I think people are obliged to cut them at the moment, and they do yeah. seem to be all cut. And scenery is beautiful. No, no more than it is in the south of Ireland. It's just a different. But you, you do know you're somewhere different. Um, I, I don't know. Is it fear the law? Yeah. Conditions are definitely better. The roads are definitely better. But that doesn't take from people making allowances for the conditions of the road you're driving on. If you know you're on a bad road with potholes, well, you're going to have to allow for these things. And I think that's what's not happening. Now, like myself, you do a lot of driving. Um, yeah, what are yeah. you seeing around the south? What, what are you seeing? Um, well, I'm seeing that I feel blessed that I'm driving a van. Because if I was driving a car, I would feel safe. Are you serious? I really, that's how serious, yeah, I really do. Now, we're driving at odd hours, odd hours, day and night. And um, we, we, the last, that that night I left um, the north and I came back down to, to Leitrim. Um, within 10 minutes, a mini passed me and two cars on a bend on a hill. I thought it was, if, if anything had come around that bend, it was a head-on collision. There was nowhere to go. Uh, just foolish. Um, oh and and but about 20 minutes later, when I eventually got to the main road, which was where the dual carriageway was, I could see that car. So it, it had only gone 50 yards ahead of me because there was a line of traffic. So it road. was no advantage, but they took their lives no, in their hands no. and, and the lives of all the people. And the lives of others. And that's where I feel safe in the van. And I know things can still happen, but I do feel safe in it because you're up higher. You do see, tend to see more. And... Um, God forbid if anything happened, I feel I've, I've, I've a bit of substance in what I'm driving because uh, I took my dad's car a few times recently and I kind of said, nah, don't know do I want to do that again. And the, um, the, other, I, the other piece of the conversation that emerged, Pat, is that people are of the opinion that things have just improved immensely since we came back after COVID. Is, that, is, is there anything yeah, in that? I do. I do agree with you, but then I think that there's a few probably elements there. And I know even from, um, we're involved with a lot of the education, of course. I'm in Limerick actually now going into a college here. Um, loads of people can't get accommodation now, so there's so many extra people driving. Oh, good point, there's yeah. so many extra yeah. cars. Yeah. I think that's just one part of it. Um, and look, I was tuned into you this morning, I heard there was a delay in Limerick Junction, so yeah. I avoided that coming through town. But um, so I think that's one part of it. I, I, it's hard to... to I agree with the point that it does seem to have gotten a bit crazier since COVID. Why? Still not sure. Um, were people studying car driving um, on paper and actually only got behind the wheel when it kind of lifted? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. But um, yeah. I, I am, I'm so conscious of safety because I'm on the road so much and you do see the, you see the most, the maddest of things. Alyssa, com completely car, agreeing with you about the motorway yeah. driving, saying that we don't have a clue where motorway driving mm. is uh, concerned. And, you know, when you take into account, of course, there's no training in the in the, in the, the no, driver training in terms of driving on a motorway. There's no nothing there no, to prepare them for. No, we drive, of course, with the N plate or the L plate, which yeah. we do see. But um, the, the, the motorway driving, like, it is obviously there are safer places for driving. The, the statistically, the motorways are, are better because you're all going the one direction. But it makes it so much safer if people drive the right way on it. Um, and then you also have issues that the roads in the north, again, even the wet conditions, you go back just to place. There's a couple of spots between Care and, or between Thurles and Mitchestown and the new motorway that they've obviously done something wrong with the tint, the angle, mm. whatever. Mm. There's something 
engineering they went wrong with those points. There's a few well, different the, spots the one up there, The one up near Bird Hill is a classic example of yeah. there's something wrong with Same the, spot. There's something wrong with it, yeah. There. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Pat, let's, let's give it a chance. Thanks. Anyway, I, I, I know you're busy this yeah. morning, so, but thank you for your time, Pat. Yeah. Thanks very Pleasure. much indeed. Pleasure. Thank you. Look after yourself. Thank Be you, safe out there. Thank you. That's Pat Murnan speaking to us this morning. Some breaking news for you. Ireland has spent more than 900 million euro last year assisting Ukrainian refugees and in direct donations to that country as well. That's according to the Irish Aid annual report for 2022. It will be launched on Wednesday by the Tónishta. Um, the Central Statistics Office figures indicate that 67,448 people have arrived in Ireland from Ukraine uh, by the week ending December 11, 2022. Uh, a number which has risen to 93,810 by September 10th last. Now, we've put uh, up a post on our social media this morning asking our listeners' opinion on this, and we'd love to hear your views on 83 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007. was on to say, I seem to remember that we said no to the Lisbon Treaty, that we were uh, when we said no to the Lisbon Treaty, that should read, uh, then we were offered protection as a sovereign nation to remain neutral within the Union for wars outside of our borders and to remain as peacekeepers in the world if uh, we then voted yes to the treaty. And of course, that's, that's what happened. Um, seeing as we were forced to vote again, uh, the current government has no right to go against the democratic vote and uh, that's in from Deirdre. And Deirdre goes on to make the point, and it's a very valid point as well, is that war is a huge money-making business. And uh, the lobbying to keep this going will be huge. Our island must remain a sanctuary of peace in the world, says uh, Deirdre to us. And uh, Pat Bernan spoke to me there about uh, his experience of driving in the north of Ireland. Uh, one of our listeners uh, saying, your caller obviously wasn't in Donegal, but no, he was making the point, I suppose, that he crossed the border into a different jurisdiction. Um, Alyssa goes on to say, I was in Donegal a few months ago and I never saw driving as dangerous. Uh, I didn't feel a bit safe on the roads, tailgating, overtaking when lorries and the traffic are coming against you. This was constant in Donegal. I couldn't wait to get out of there. And certainly back through the years, I would have travelled a lot in Donegal and I agree with you. I mean, the roads there are pretty lethal. In fact, two great friends of mine many years ago were tragically killed uh, on the roads uh, up there. Um, yeah. 1800 uh, Georgia Nina says, for one thing I noticed up north, they don't indicate coming off the roundabouts. Now, don't get me started about roundabouts and uh, because down south, I'm not sure that we're aware of how to use roundabouts properly uh, at all. Well, anyway, let us go back to St. Anthony because we've been chatting about him and uh, to listeners with their particular connection and affection for St. Anthony. We received some lovely stories from listeners and Tammy joins me now. Tammy, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well, Tammy, and lovely to talk to you. Tell me about lovely Rascal, uh, Rascal, Rascal going going walkabout. Rascal went missing on us. Yes. She was missing for nine days. And to tell you the truth, Fran, 
I thought I didn't like the dogs in the house. Do you know that? They were a nuisance. You feed them. Like, I inherited the dogs I have in my house. My yeah. children got dogs, but I inherited them. Of course. Do you know that? Yes, I do indeed. Yes. And, and uh, oh, we walk them, we feed them. Yeah, that goes off. Yeah. And I ended up having them. And Rascal went missing on us. And I couldn't eat, sleep, nothing while she was missing. We walked. We put posters up. We went on websites. We went everywhere trying to find Rascal. And at that time, I was looking after a lovely elderly lady and a lady came to visit her from the Legion of Mary. And I was telling her about the dog being missing. And she said to me, I'll tell you a little prayer now to say to St. Anthony, but don't promise to feck her any more than two euro because you <laughs> rob her, she said. <laughs> and the prayer was, Tony, Tony, look around. Something's lost and must be found. And then promise him the two euros, she said. And I went home anyway, and I said it to my own lads. And, and the lads said, ma'am, at this stage, God, like, you know, anything. We Like, even my son had put up a, a reward. We do anything to find mm. her. And my other son, my oldest son was outside the front door smoking because I didn't agree with smoking and he was outside and he was having a cigarette and he could hear a whimper. And he called us and we could hear the whimper and we all ran down to the end of the garden and over the wall to the next door's garden we could hear the whimper stronger. And my son went in behind the wall and he dug literally a hole with his hands and here was our rascal after nine days down this hole missing. And I have great faith in St. Anthony since because the minute we said the prayer, we found her. And if I'm ever lost anything, which we have over the time since, I promise him a few pounds and I always get it. And I sometimes say, you feck her, are you looking for money again? (laughs) 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 And and give us us the little rhyme uh, once, uh, once again, if you would, Tammy. Tony, Tony, look around. Something's lost and must be found. The something is whatever you've lost that you're looking for. So when it was Rascal, I said, Tony, Tony, look around. Rascal's lost and must be found. And I kept saying it for about 10 to 15 minutes. And eventually, like I said, my son went outside. We'd been walking, driving. Like there wasn't a part of Turles that we didn't drive, walk, look for. You know, we had went everywhere, and nine days later, we found her. So I have great devotion to Saint Anthony's. R- Rascal must have been in bad shape. Nine days without food. She was. Water. She was very dehydrated yeah. and everything. So she was, but she's fine. She's bowed as ever, lives up to her name. So Is it incredible? And how did yeah. she get down underground? How how did that? It work? was a little rabbit hole. Little demon is a Jack Russell, and the little ah, demon went right. down the rabbit hole. Don't you know? It's in their breeze. Yeah. yeah. And she got trapped. But we had gone down the garden at every day, literally calling her and calling her. And like Valacran, where we live, literally, you, you cross the fields over to Turtla. We went over the fields. We drove over to Turtla. We drove over to housing estates all around, walked the length and breadth of it every single day. Could not find her. And literally said the prayer. And we found her. And so I have great emotion to him since. And up until the lady advised you to, to go to, to St. Anthony, um, had you been a devotee of his or had you... Not no. in the slightest. Not yeah. in the slightest. Um, 
like I said, I came home to my kids and said it, and they were saying, "Man, we'll try anything at this stage." Do you know what I mean? Like, and the lady that told me was so funny. Now, don't promise him too much money because he'll only charm in I always remember it, but yes. I got to pray. I asked that for her intentions because it was so kind of her to tell me that. Do you know that sort of way. Now, I'm not over religious, but I do believe in God and yeah. I do believe in prayer. Do you know, but um. Yeah, that was our story. Our, our I'm, fasc- I'm fascinated by the, the the stories that have come in from people this yeah. week, Tammy. And you know what also um, interests me is that you know a lot of the people who would have a devotion to Saint Anthony, they're not necessarily uh, like Holy Joes or religious no, people. No, do you know? no, I I would go to mass not regularly. Usually, first anniversary masses, things like that. I'm not a mass person, but the reason I. Like, it's not the reason. I always remember my mother, Lord Mercy, and she was a walking thing, and she looked after my disabled brother for a month off his turkey birthday. She had him at home, and she'd give her heart and soul to anyone that came into the house. They were fed, whether they wanted to be fed or not. You know, she was a mm. very kind, gentle person, and she used to always say to me, if he can't hear me in my own kitchen, he's not going to hear me eating the altar. Yes, yes. And that was my philosophy of life. You know, she was right, because... I shouldn't say it, but there's some of meeting the altar that wouldn't say hello, how are you? I'll give a cup of tea to anybody. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, can be a good person without eating the altar. That's very now, interesting. Don't get me wrong, I do say my prayers, but yeah. you know, yeah, the, the, I wouldn't wish harm on anybody. I would try my best to help anybody out I could. The financial contributions to Saint Anthony, as well as giving me sort of amusement, because there is oh, this well, notion yeah. that he's kind of commercial about his ability. You yeah. know. Well, my, well, that's what that lady said to me. Don't, don't, don't get her out more than two euros. He's harming <laughs> Oh, it's terrific altogether. It's really, really yeah. good. Well, listen, it's nice to have some funny stories. We have a, we have a hard word out there at the minute, and it's nice to be able to... Oh, for certain. For have certain. something gentle to talk what, about. What, what did it mean to the younger people, though, in your family... Um, what happened where St. Anthony and Rascal was concerned? They were, sure, they were delighted. They listen, if they still lose that and they say, Mother, will you talk to that guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're the conduit now, aren't I'm, you? I, I'm yeah. the go between. Yeah. Will you talk to It's great. And did you did you bother to go into the history of St. Anthony or his life? or? I Yeah, I wouldn't know about him over the years. When we were going school, you had to learn the saints, and I have to say now, this is totally opposite thing. But when you were getting your confirmation, you had to pick a saint's name, and mm. I picked Saint Joan of Arc because she was the only one I could remember. Okay, so you picked Joan of Arc, right? Yeah, because she was the only one I could remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, she certainly had she had an eventful life and death, so I suppose you could you yeah. couldn't forget about her. I suppose she was. Because the bishop then would be asking you questions about the saint's name you were going to take for your confirmation. I'm really showing my age now, but anyway, um, that's what they would do. Like, so Joan of Arc was the only one I could remember. So, so your confirmation is your confirmation name Joan then? It is. Joan. Yes, I'm Tammy Marie Joan. That's oh. my full title. Oh, very good. Actually, I only <laughs> thought thought about it now, but my middle name is Anthony. So. Oh, fair 
very good. My mother must very have had, had some she sort of it. She must have had a devotion to St. Anthony, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember years ago, I always give out about being called Francis, you see. I almost hated uh, right. the name. But I remember my my, um, my mother saying to me, or my brother saying to me, it could be worse. He said, your mother could have been praying to Jude instead and you'd have been <laughs> Jude instead of France. So I, I, I don't know. It's great to talk to you, Tammy. And I'm, I'm, you too, Fran. I'm, I'm delighted that Rascal is alive and well. And thanks yeah, very much indeed. She, th- she is. Thanks a million, Fran. Have thanks, a good day. Thanks, bye, Tammy. Bye, 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 bye. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Tammy. And again... Another success story for St. Anthony, 83 Just let me mention to you that um, we have gardening towards the end of the programme as well. If you have a gardening query, uh, log it with us, please. 83 Social media has been inundated with posts in recent weeks of bad parking and sadly dangerous and inconsiderate. Uh, parking, particularly in disabled parking spaces. Now, this was highlighted on social media by a great friend of the show, community activist in Cash, Liam Brown. And Liam joins me now. Liam, good morning to you. And uh, good to talk to you today, Liam. Yeah, we saw some of the pictures there. Would you describe what was going on? It was just, just on the entrance to Eggers Lane there in Cashel, wasn't it? Yeah, last weekend it was just uh, another one, I suppose, in a long line of, of places where there's a problem but Apparently, this a long-term problem that kind of really got torn up last weekend because people finally got sick of it. Anyone national notice, you know, issue. Liam, I'm sorry to cut across you. It's just your phone line is a little bit dodgy. It might be where you're standing at the moment. So we'll, we'll, sorry. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're back to me now. Yeah, you, okay. you were saying yes, Liam. Yeah. yeah any, anybody who knows Cashel Fan will know that you know if you go down along Fire Street in Cashel by the church would want to go to, say, the Protestant Church on John Street. Mm. There's a connection, a connecting lane, Agar's Lane. Yes. Which is, is used, and it's used by an awful lot of people, say, coming from the one side of town to the other, mm. rather than going down around the town and back up again. But, like, there's cars parked, you know, into a small area in front of the entrance of the lane from Fire Street, which completely blocks up the ability of anybody to go from Fire Street to John Street or from John Street to come back. And, like... It's stopping people getting into their houses even. They're, they're parking so close to, to the house in the laneway to get into the lane that you can't get in or out of the house. And it was a person who called me last weekend who couldn't even get their buggy into their house because they couldn't get between the house and the car. But there's a car and, park just down from there. Oh, this, this is this is what absolutely drives me up the wall, fine. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm going to be straight about it. This particular, um, this particular case at the weekend seems to be down to that there's an Airbnb being used on the in one of the houses at the, at the entrance of the lane. Mm. So there could be three or four people coming at any one time uh, staying in the Airbnb and literally wanting to park in front of the front door instead of using the car park behind it, which is, as you said, it's 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 less than two minutes of yeah. a walk. Yeah. But it's selfish and it's inconsiderate, but it's it's a kind of symptomatic of a lot of different places. Now, another place that is it's driving people mad lately is the graveyard, the parking at the graveyard. And parking, you know, if people are going to matches, Mm. I'm not blaming the King Cormacs here because they came out and they, when when it was said to them, they came out and they asked their supporters, yeah. they asked their members not to park outside the car park. There's a council car park. It's not 50 metres down from the from the entrance of of the of the the graveyard. Mm. And again, people won't. People don't want to walk 50 yards anymore. They want to almost park inside in the field if they can, or inside in the graveyard, or inside Nacres Lane. And they're not taking into account any consideration of people who need to use the laneway, who can't get in because, you know, they may be using a wheelchair, they may be using a mobility aid, a, a scooter. I mean, people are getting older nowadays, France. There's an awful lot more mobility scooters being used around the town. Uh, but, of course. But, uh, and what needs to happen, Liam? I mean, what, what are you hearing from people? 
Well, look, I'm, I'm going to be honest the idea of things on, on, on motors. I mean, people have enough bills as it is. But on, I think unless some people start getting fined in some of these places, it's going to continue to happen. Because like, you can put signage up, and there's signage up in most of these places. I took another picture, actually. I was talking to Michael Moore. You know Michael lives I know on Michael the lane. Michael Wells, great old friend of mine. I yeah. mean, myself, myself and Michael were talking Monday when I went down another look at the lane, and there was a car parked right in front of a doorway which said no parking on it. I mean, you literally get out of the car and you see a big no parking sign and you close the car and you walk away. I mean, Michael has told me himself that he had to be, you know, he, he was injured a, a little while ago. He had to be yeah. carried out of the house. But, I mean, if an ambulance had to get down there or a fire brigade had to get down there, they simply couldn't. And I don't think people take that into account because they want to come away without realising that where they park impacts on other people. Now, I know you had Angela on there a week ago as well yes. with yeah. her mum yeah. trying to get down the back of the pipes. Like, we're living in towns, Fran, that weren't designed for a whole lot of cars. We have narrow streets, and people need to realise that this is the reason that councils put in car parks. And fair play to the council, we have some fine car parks in the town. But it means that people might have to walk an extra 50 yards, and they don't seem to want to be able to, want to do it. So if they don't do it, Fran, something's going to have to be done. Now, maybe a major education campaign around it in the first instance. But if not, I mean, people are going to have to be punished with fines and yes. that might get around the place and get them away from these entrances. And Liam, that, that entrance to Agers Lane there, is it illegal to park there? Well, it's, it's illegal to block up any walkway. Oh yes, I know, I but, mean, but is there any you know official signage to say you can't park there? I don't think so. I don't think there is, and 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 that's the issue. There may not be, yeah. but I mean, like I don't think you you I don't think you need to be putting up 101 signs mm. to explain to people that if you park your car within a foot of a person's door and you can get out and walk away, that you're going to probably cause a problem for somebody trying to get in and out of that, in and out of that house of with yeah. a buggy or even... I mean, in older, older people, older people need a little bit of extra space to manoeuvre. They're not as light on their feet mm. as younger people are. But people just don't seem to care. I mean, and it's, it's awful. I don't want to be sounding like a wing or a whinge bag, but a little bit of consideration and thinking, you know, if I park into a, if I park into a disabled parking spot for five minutes... That might mean somebody who needs that space could come along and have to drive away and be unable to find a parking space. Which, you know, I mean... Yeah, but you talk about education, Liam, but to be honest with you, I think we're more informed now than we ever were. So it's a very conscious decision that somebody is saying, I'm going to do this and I don't care about the consequence. It is, it is. If, if we're asking about it, it's, 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 an inconsiderate, it's an inconsiderate choice and people are just saying that their convenience is more important than somebody else's inconvenience. And why should I move, you know, why, why shouldn't I park here? It's a parking space. But, I mean, there's good reason why we have parking spaces for disabled people. Mm. There's good reason why we have, you know, parking spaces more and more for, for elderly people and for, say, uh, mothers and children because there is a need for extra space. And Frank, can I just say something here? Sure. Um, you know, a good friend of, of myself and a friend of the town, Timmy Maloney, mm. he, he was buried yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I, um, a couple of months ago, and he actually rang me, and he said, Liam, there's something had done about dis- disabled space and disabled mobility space. Because he had just come into a wheelchair himself, and he, he didn't realise how bad it was until he was in that situation. There's an awful lot of us we're in the good of our health and we're able to hop around the place fine. But then when something, as it did for Timmy, and then suddenly he realised, you know, there wasn't enough spaces. If he, if, he, if he went down along the town and somebody was in a space, he literally had to turn the car around and, and keep going again. So 
we've got to realise that we're getting older. Mm. We, we, sh- we should have more and more cop on about the idea that people are going to need these spaces. They're not. They're not there for nothing. We've it is. So people think, you know. Yeah. And and speaking of parking in the town, Liam, uh, with what's been happening on the Care Road there, opposite uh, Tesco or in the area of Tesco there, um, it seems to be almost finalised at this point. But again, it's parking that's been taken away largely. How how are you feeling about that at this point? It's, well, on that particular on that particular reason for being taken away, putting that cycle path out from the town out the Care Road, I think is absolute bonkers. It was nonsense. I don't think it's going to be used. I think that the best part of a million euro being spent on, on it that will be used very little. There was no one to take away those parking spaces. Now, there is a big parking, there is a big uh, car park behind Tesco. Yes. But the people thought it is very casual to come and stuff outside the needle there. Uh, no, it can't because you can't, it, the bus can't stop the roads too narrow. So you're now, you're now developing the town, which has developed quite a lot out Oliver Bunker Parkway, out Sparfield Way. And I think there's going to be in time more development out the care road because you're not going to develop on the rock, on the rocky actual side, on the Dundrum side. So if you want to put public transport out on that side of the town, you've taken away any space for public transport to stop in. So I mean, if somebody from Oliver Duncan Park wants to go to Clamell on the bus, they've got to walk down the whole length of the town, get on the bus outside the, the bakehouse, and then turn around and pass where they've just come from to head on to the wind. Yeah. Where instead we we could have been putting bus shelters, we couldn't put in a bus stop there. Uh, instead, we put a big cycleway, narrowed the road. We made the road more dangerous, in my opinion. The road was the amount of use on that road has been cut down hugely by the fact that the motorway is now most people's choice to go from national to care. So I mean, I I cannot see how that many people are going to use that cycleway. It's quite dangerous, and it's quite dangerous at the junction out of Lunker Park as well. I think there's going to be an accident there. I've brought up with the council. There's what cycles do come down from the from the park side, if you want to talk about it. Mm. There's no way of getting back out onto the road, the roundabout. So I think it's going to remain on the cycleway all the way past the corner of Alvarunga Park. And somebody's going to hit with a bicycle going around that corner because it's blind corner on the way to the road. All right, uh, Liam, sadly your phone line isn't all it should be, so we'll leave it there. But thank you so much indeed for coming on with us, and I'm sure it's something we'll come back to again. But if you are parking, for God's sake, will you just keep in mind that there are people trying to make their way around with uh, um, those scooters for the disabled and with wheelchairs, and of course uh, mothers and fathers with buggies as well and all of that uh, kind of thing. 1800 938 A listen around to say I always prayed to St. Anthony and when my daughter loses anything she rings me and she tells me to pray to St. Anthony and it always works. I find, I find that very good as well and Tammy alluded to, to this as well that you know people some people in a the family they don't go go direct to St. Anthony but somebody else is the conduit so I say well, will you get in touch there with St. Anthony promise him a few bob and we'll see if we can find whatever it is uh, 083311 just to mention again that black and white a border collie missing from the Killinall area since Sunday now seemingly the poor dog was scared off by uh, fireworks and he answers to the name uh, Banjo and if you can help with this because I'm not going to speak about it because people are entitled to their privacy but we heard the backstory behind this dog and how important this dog is to the family. 
So I'll leave it at that. Very, very important, emotionally important to the family. So if you can help with this, please do. It's a black and white border collie, kind of a sheepdog, I suppose, missing from the Killinall area, scared off by the blooming fireworks there. Uh, again, if you can help us with that, um, 083 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie uh, Welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Listener rather cynical about Irish people and saying, uh, listen to your show, Fran, you could put up 20 signs, but Irish people don't seem to read them. And this is... Uh, making reference to a conversation there with Liam Brown about the situation in Cashel. Somebody saying they'd care if a big scratch was put along their car, Fran. Um, But uh, we certainly don't advocate that sort of thing. Um, My good friend Paul McCarthy on as well. He says, this message came in from my daughter in Australia, Fran. Um, uh, Rona is her little daughter. And uh, the Irish Foreign Births Registration, who have been processing Rona's documentation for over one year, have just had the cheek to email and ask me to send them more up-to-date photos. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. 083 Now, RTE's teletext service, Airtel, will close next week after nearly 40 years in service. Now, I have... I have to say this was a surprise to me because I thought it was closed years ago. But anyway, seemingly not. It first went live on an experimental basis about 1986 before being formally launched a year later. Now, it's been running digitally since 2019 and it will be switched off on Thursday the 12th of October. So we asked our listeners, would they miss it? And Geraldine joins me now. Geraldine, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well, Geraldine. Um, Airtel, was, was it important to you, Geraldine? Do you know what? I'd forgotten all about it. Had you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually thought it was obsolete for many years. Yeah, me too. I think, me too. yeah, back in the day, I suppose in the early 80s, uh, yeah, the 80s, I would have checked it for flights and things, but I totally forgot about it. Mm. So it's been there dormant in my mind anyway, thinking it was not available. For yeah. many years. And of course it was pre-internet and internet, internet oh, searches yeah, and, and, and all of that. So it it might have been very important at that particular time, Geraldine. It was, yeah. Flights and I remember one time uh, we had um, visitors here and they'd done the Irish Lotto and we had a big kind of a hoo-ha and a laugh over it and how we'd find the numbers and we went to Airtel. But then I t- actually, I don't even know where to look for it on my TV. Yeah, well, I think it's gone online, they tell me, since 2019. Mm. So you have to go and fish it out, I suppose. Very good. I must do that and see what's going on before it goes. But, <laughs> like, I'm sure I'm sure there are people of a certain age or a certain, you know, that are not, I suppose, tech-knowledgeable yes. that would still use it. But I don't know. Um, have we been paying for this service secretly with our licence? Well, I think so. I think it was costing. I, I, I saw a cost somewhere about it, and uh, yeah, I suppose I as as part quite of the phenomenal sum. Yeah, as part of the slimming down of RTE, I guess this is yeah. one of the RTE things. RTE now, I think, need to do a lot of slimming down, but that was a hidden uh, payment that we weren't aware of. Yeah. Um, mm. and, and funny enough, I heard some discussion on national radio about this yesterday, and a lot of people 
still use it for okay. all, all sorts of stuff, particularly, I think, for sports information and the like. So. Okay, yeah, I think you can get um, a lot of, of intense, um, you know, into the, you can almost get back into the name of the horse, the breeder or whatever, if you were doing racing ah, or okay. all of this, I believe. Right. I'm mm. certainly going to go rooting for it later. <laughs> Very good indeed. I tried to put it up here uh, in front of me now, but I'm, I'm failing miserably for some reason or other. Um, are you the kind of person, did you move with the technology, Geraldine? Do you, I, mean, I think I did, yeah. yeah. I actually, yeah, I did. Yeah. And like, you know, if I need to know something now, I think Mr. Google would be my friend, mm. where, whether it's uh, true or false. But um, I actually, as I've said already, come completely forgot about it. Now, when I lived in London many years ago, I would have used the CFAX, which has gone, I think, since 20, October 2012, 2012 or something. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Airtel, completely forgotten about it. Yeah, mm. I would have moved. Yes, I would. But as I said to you already, Fran, I'm sure there are um, uh, people out there that would rely on it, that are not into doing things on their phone. Of course, but I think yeah. the annoying thing for me is that it's been a hidden uh, cost that we were. And I mean, the television license is quite expensive, mm. so yeah. we're paying for something that uh, you know that is, I suppose, minimum use. Uh, maybe if somebody needs it, that they pay a, a fee to have it on their. That um, they, they could actually, you know, if, yeah, if, if, if yeah. they wanted it, that they would pay yeah. for it, yeah, essentially. So. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. interesting, yeah. And what what are you making about all the shenanigans about RTE at the moment and the licence fee and all of that, Geraldine? What? Um, I think the licence fee should be taken off RTE and maybe given to some other body um, and that we maybe revenue or somebody like our, our house um, tax mm. or whatever and we pay it because... Like, what are we paying for? Mm. Well, they, they tell it. us uh, it's for public service broadcasting, whatever the hell okay. that is supposed to be, as if yeah, the rest well, of us I, are not I'd public like service I'd like to know what that is. And, you know, I, I don't have um, a lot of channels because I'm not a TV person. Mm. I, as such, there are certain programs I'll watch and other ones I just... But one of the nights there a couple of weeks ago, I went to five or six different channels and they were programs that I had seen five, six years ago. Repeat, yeah. You repeat yeah. after repeat. So, I mean, and even last night, um, I turned over from one channel to another and uh, they had that program first date mm. and I watched it almost two years ago. Oh, so that, that, hundred... was, that, that was a repeat as well, was it? Well, oh, it was, yeah, yeah. It's all repeated. Yeah. And we're paying 160. I think it's 160 um, because we do it through direct debit. But I'm sure it's 160. Mm. For what? Yeah. And uh, so you you think it's not worth the money, obviously? No, it's not. It's yeah. definitely not. And I think RTE need a big shake up um, uh, financially and everything, everything. And I think you know this whole Ryan Turbidy thing that really upheaval to the, the apple tart and mm. we don't know the half of it. And do you think it was a good thing that all of that, I mean, it was unfortunate for Ryan Tuberty, but... It's was very it a... unfortunate for him and I miss him terrible and I still can't get my head around the late show. Can you not? But, yeah. no. 
no, mm. no. And I've watched now the three episodes and last week was wonderful. It was a book launch. Really? It's lacking that oomph. Yeah, and, and uh, that oomph was supposed to come from Patrick Keelty because yeah, of well his... Well, it hasn't. Do you not think so? No. Well, I don't think so. Yeah. That's my opinion. Now, we have the Country Music Festival uh, night this coming week. So that mm. will be interesting. I mean, Ryan was amazing on that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, he certainly made it his own, didn't he? Yes. Oh, definitely. He definitely, definitely did. But I think, here we go again... I, I think Patrick, you know, he needs to move. Move in what in what way, Geraldine? Around the, the studio, around. Oh yes, the yeah. Make himself more lively. And did you notice they've moved the chairs a bit? Have they? I didn't oh, particularly yeah. know. Yeah, they that have, was an issue yeah. the first time round, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they seem to have moved it, but I don't know. I think RTE is a, com- uh, a complete mess, and mm. you know, the public a lot was hidden from us. Mm. Yeah, well, paying, paying yeah, that, that, that might well be the case, but I mean, it was no surprise to me the kind of money that certain people in RTE were making. The, the dogs on the streets knew that. I don't know why yeah, that was... absolutely ridiculous. You know? But, absolutely uh, ridiculous. All right, Charlie, um, well, good, good to talk to you. And, um, and I, you too, Fran. Yeah, and uh, you might have a look at Airtel, see what you've I been missing for the, will. for the last I certainly will. I certainly will, and I'll come back to you and tell you what I found. Oh, very good, very good. Look after yourself, <laughs> Charlie. Have Thank a you. lovely day. Thank you, you so much. You too. Bye-bye bye bye now. That's Geraldine there on Airtel. Uh, we'll take a break. Back with more. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Pat told you during news uh, there's a conference happening today where experts from around the world will discuss their experiences of regulating e-scooters and obviously that will inform regulation here I suppose. Uh, Tommy joins me now. Good morning to you Tommy. Morning Fran, how are you? How do you feel about e-scooters, electric scooters Tommy? It uh, Well more or less they, they could be the cause of more accidents on the road, you know what I mean? Mm. I've come across a few of them in my own travels now, and uh, they're on the road, but they're in and out. But the problem is there, if a person in a, a driving a car or anything hits one, or they're the cause of a crash, what happens? Are they insured? Are they taxed? Or, you know, do they need a licence? Yeah, and that's the problem, and part of the reason for that conference, I suppose, today is to find out what, what people are doing in other uh, jurisdictions, but... It's the best yeah. way not to. I mean, at the moment, they, they don't appear to be insured. Or they don't seem to be saying anything about yeah. anything like that. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, if they were the cause of a crash, how how can you claim off their insurance when they don't have any? Or does the driver be at the fault all the time? And is that you know, what, what you think will happen in the event of... I reckon it will, yeah. yeah. Because um, usually, like, if they're supposed to be only going 20 miles an hour or 20 kilometres an hour... Mm. You know what I mean? You're supposed to watch them. That's another obstacle that a driver has to watch on the road. Yeah, I've you know, seen They're that. not allowed on the footpaths or anything, you know. I've seen Which them is in, right. They shouldn't be on the footpaths anyway, but... I've seen them in the mornings on the uh, 
Clonmel Bypass. Maybe yeah. I, I'm not yeah. sure if it's college going people or, or whatever, but certainly they they're not lit up properly. They're travelling, as you say, they're zipping in and out so fast. That yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're um, you know what I mean. They're saying they'll be going on bicycle lanes and bus lanes, but what about roads that don't have bicycle lanes and bus lanes? It's a good point. Yeah, they will be permitted you know? to use bus lanes and cycle lanes and and tram lines in, yeah. in Dublin. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's it, yeah, yeah. But you wouldn't mind them using that because they're not in your way or whatever, yes. you know. But yeah. if you get them on a road, come approach road coming into, say, the likes of Care, where I am, and there's no bus lanes or bicycle lanes on some of the parts of the road, and, you know, they're in front of you, they could swerve out, you know what I mean, and you'd find it very hard to avoid them, you know. But what what I find peculiar about them is, I mean, they're, they're talking about speeds up to 20k, and, and more. But with those little wheels, I'm showing my age here now because of my concerns, but with those little <laughs> wheels, if they, hurt, if they hit a pothole or something, Tommy, should That's they it, be? you're gone. Yeah. yeah, you're gone straight away. And if a, a driver behind him doesn't react quickly enough, yeah. he's to blame. You know what I mean? That's what I'm trying to, to get yeah. at, you know. 20 kilometres an hour is fast for them, you know what I mean? It certainly is. Now, you, you, I see them here in care and they're going up and down to the factory now. People need ways of going to work and yeah, all that kind sure. of thing. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But when you see them flying up and down the road, it's unreal. And you know? are they on the road or are they on the footpath? They're on the road. On the road, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because seemingly, I mean, we will have legislation uh, on this before the end of the year, but seemingly they won't be permitted to use footpaths or pedestrian yeah. areas, you know. So, But that puts extra of the e-scooters in onto the road and for drivers, like, you know what I mean, one little wobble and they're gone, you mm. know what I mean? They're out in front of a car. They don't wear um, reflector gear or anything like that. Yeah, well, we should have had this legislation ages ago where this is... A long been. time ago. Shouldn't it should we? have been brought in, especially when they started using them in the country, you know, these e-scooters and that. Yeah. I, I mean, a I'm, long not, time ago I'm not sure why they need to have some sort of a big conference about this today. Sure, we could no. all inform them what they should be doing for safety. Yeah, yeah. They're probably just wasting people's money, <laughs> like usual. <laughs> yeah, I know. Do you think drivers get the, the dirty end of the stick quite often? I think so, because... Um, you know, you have to stay two metres out now from a cyclist. Well, mm. I'm a cyclist as well, mm. but I'd understand that as well. If you're too close to a bicycle person, you might frighten them. Mm. You know, but you know what I mean? You see a scooter on the road, if he's doing 20 kilometres an hour and you're coming around the bend and he's in the middle of the road, you won't stop. And, that, and that's the trouble, isn't it? It's interesting you talk about, about cycling, but it's only in the last few weeks I, I've started to cycle. And, and yeah. I, I can't believe the danger of it, Tommy, on, it's on the road. very, roads, very dangerous. It? It is, uh, you'd want to be very well lit up, you know mm. what I mean? But but even, you, you know, even if you're on, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of that area from Tipperary Town out towards Limerick Junction, there's a sort of a walk yeah. and a cycleway there. And it's all fine to say that it's secluded and it's all little place. But if a, if a big a juggernaut is coming against you... That's the, it, and he loses control yeah, or whatever. Absolutely. Like, you know. But even the, 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 the wind created by the truck is, yeah. is yeah. formidable, you know? It would knock you, you know what I mean, if you weren't prepared for it, yeah. Yeah, as I say, I'm only... You have to be very steady on the road, as they say. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm gone back on a bike after 50 years or something. Oh, probably, so it's I not. was the same this year. I went back on the bike after about 50 years. Yeah. And how are you getting on with it? <laughs> I'm getting on grand. My my youngest daughter goes off cycling with me. You know, I have to because I have a bad back now. Right. And I can't walk properly, okay. you know. Yeah. Kills me. 
Yeah, I went oh, down. I went up the bike instead. I went on that uh, lovely way from from Inchfield there down towards Swiss Cottage. Swiss Cottage. That, it's beautiful. That's, that's yeah. lovely there, and there's no danger. The only thing is, the cyclists are a bit of a danger to the people walking then as well. To the people know? walking, tis, yeah, yeah. Tis, uh, you, you can't win no matter what. You know what I mean? You can't. Can I bring you into yeah. the conversation before I let you go, just in terms of uh, driver behaviour as well? We were talking to Pat Burnell earlier on about his experience yeah. up north and so. Yeah. What are I you seeing on the roads uh, out there, Tommy? Well, you'd, you'd see a lot of people on phones. It's as simple as that. When I'm driving, anyway. I do, I do, I do. And there's a lot of people who don't pay extra attention. You know, if you're cycling, yeah. they'll come in as close as they can just to get past you. They'll chance anything, you know. And I'm a driver myself, but, you know, it's just... And when you say on Ireland, phones, are you talking about using them as a phone or are they texting or are they... No, using them as a phone. Which, phone. Uh, I've often seen them up to their ears and all on the phone. Yeah. You know, it, it is dangerous and um, they should tamp down a bit more on it. I know, I suppose, we don't have the gallery to do it anyway, but, yeah. you know... But it, it needs just, to be tamped It's just a thing that needs to be addressed properly, you know. I, I, I yeah. mentioned yesterday I saw a guy in a brand new Porsche as I say, I was envious of his beautiful car but, yeah, but there he yeah. was, with all the technology in that car, and there he was on the phone, with the phone on up the phone. to his ear yeah. Yeah. totally yeah. unnecessary with what's... It is actually, because that'd have the Bluetooth and oh, the whole lot through, sure. through, it's bound to be, you know. Absolutely, yeah. I, I don't use my phone in the car at all, into the glove compartment it goes and that's it. Oh, right, so you're very particular yeah. about it, Tommy. Yeah. I would be, yeah, I would, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and is that based on unfortunate experience, or what? What is it? Is it just? No, it's just the habit I'm after getting into now. The, the minute yeah. I get into a car, it goes into the glove compartment, and that way I can't hold it and I can't use it. But if a car comes in, I'll use the Bluetooth thing on the radio. You know. Oh, very good. So you can still do that, but you're not tempted to look at the phone screen. Then you're not tempted to look at the screen. You can still concentrate on your driving and talk to a person by just pressing a button on your steering and answering. You know what I mean? All right, it's very, very good. Indeed. But I don't make phone calls in the car. Right, right. But yeah. you, you will answer on the Bluetooth because that's that's the safe, will, yeah. safe yeah. way of doing it. Tommy, way of doing Tommy, it, yeah. great to talk to you. Safe driving and safe cycling no as problem. well, Tommy. No <laughs> problem, you too, friend. All the best. Thanks, Tommy. Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. Um, Jackie in Cashel. In all my years of walking Agers Lane, uh, which w- would have been about 10 times a day, I never was there a car parked there. It was always for pedestrians and uh, residents of the lane. What's wrong with society? Uh, in Is the old ways uh, out done by the new ways? Some people just don't care. It's time for the new ways to be gotten rid of and back to the old days of respect for all people. Nowadays, would park up your... <laughs> Up your arse, if they could, says Jackie uh, today. Uh, Somebody else saying, I was listening to Fran, uh, your discussion on parking with Liam Brown while watching a lady trying to exit her house onto Mitchellstown Road in care. She had a lot of difficulty. She had no view whatsoever to her right as there are cars parked right up to her gate on both sides. These cars are parked there all day. They're parked illegally on a cycle lane. This road is used as a car park by people who are sharing lifts to Cork, Limerick, etc. Between this and excessive speed, it's very unfair on the residents and complaints have been made to the council and councillors, but nothing gets done.
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Alyssa says, no courtesy on the roads at all, Fran. I live in Carrickinshore and the amount of people who actually park in double yellow lines... And those lines are there for a reason. Carrick Beg is the worst. You can hardly pass on the narrow roads when cars are parked. And parked. And like you said earlier on, don't get me started on the roundabouts here. Um, how some people pass their test is a mystery. I just don't know, says a listener on 0833113311. Where the scooters are concerned, let me just go to a Kilkenny listener who is saying that the e-scooter's their big, big problem with people dressed in black and uh, no helmets and the like as well. It appears uh, that uh, it's getting worse because it seems to be more and more young people now on them. No helmet, no licence, no insurance. Uh, dark clothing is the norm. So who's mad, it says? Uh, we are. We buy our cars, we use expensive fuel, insurance, but these scooters whiz past you. We are the mad ones, says Liam on 0833113311. Now, we're with you every single weekday morning from nine, of course, and this morning we spoke to Kevin uh, on that conversation that we're having this week on our neutrality, given the news that Irish troops are providing uh, rifle training to Ukrainian uh, soldiers. Here's a little of what Kevin had to say to me this morning, just after nine. There needs to be a more robust conversation about what neutrality actually means, what it is we can and cannot provide. Like, I don't think that that training should have... It, I think it's in direct conflict with the idea that we are a, a neutral nation. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think a previous speaker was talking about how there's, you know, we've never really been neutral. And, then, you know, that's a conversation as well. Mm. But it, it's not... It's not useful that 18 months or so into this conflict, we're in a position where we technically we can technically fudge the numbers to allow the provision of lethal training um, in Ukraine. And you know, I, I think that that I think a more robust conversation about what neutrality is, what it means, and what we can and cannot do um, is required in order to be clear about the provision of these kinds of supports. I know that there is some appetite for changing it. Um, and I, I think people frequently reference and reference like an evolving world and things are changed and it's not like it used to be and so on. Um, and look, that's fair enough. But I actually like. I think neutrality has been a cornerstone of Irish foreign policy for a very long time, and you don't just give up on that notion because it becomes difficult. And that's Kevin who spoke to me this morning on the subject of neutrality just after nine o'clock. Now it's time for the Gardaí to keep us uh, up to speed on what's been happening around the county. And I'm glad to be joined now by Sergeant in charge of Clamill Garda Station, Margaret Kelly. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning, Fran. And thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today. Can we start with safety, I suppose, really, and, and particularly tyre safety, Margaret? Yes, this is a message for right across the county, Fran. It was Tire Safety Day on Monday, the 2nd of October, and on Garda Siakana, right across the county, we're actively checking, checking tire conditions on that day, and indeed the entire month and the run into winter. Important things to consider is that your tires are the only point of contact between your car, your van, your, your vehicle, and the road. So you could have a brand new car, but if your tires are in poor condition, that's really what you're reduced to. Um, the importance to the car safety and fuel economy is 
often overlooked. So checking your tyres is going to save you money by maximising your tyre life and improve your safety by identifying damages and helps to reduce engine emissions into the environment by improving your fuel consumption. So we know that a tyre that's underinflated by 20% will actually increase your fuel consumption by up to 3%. And we're asking that you check your tyre your inflation in your tyre regularly, as well as your tread depth. An underinflated tyre negatively impacts the wear and the lifespan of the actual tyre, the grip and the handling of your car and your braking performance, and indeed the fuel efficiency, which is obviously fuel is expensive anyway, mm. but that is going to contribute to that. So poor tyre condition can lead to an internal rust, a rapid deflation or a blowout, often, you know, when you're travelling at higher speeds. So we're asking listeners to look for cracks, cuts or grazes on the sidewalls of their tyres, any visible bulges, ensure that their wheels are properly aligned and balanced and they'll often feel that in the steering wheel, but obviously thread depth is of huge importance and please don't overlook the the health of your tyres. And as we get into winter conditions, Margaret, of course, this becomes all the more important, does it? Yes, weather has a huge impact on this, yeah. Mm. Um, To move on then, and uh, we covered it uh, during news, but what have you for us on on that uh, robbery that occurred in in, in Feathered? Yes, I know we have a lot of listeners to this lot, Fran, and we Mm. just wanted to make sure that um, we reiterate this robbery that happened. Um, The Gardaí in Feathered and Clonmel are investigating a robbery which took place at Lad Brooks bookmakers in the square and feathered and that was 8.15pm approximately on Thursday the 28th of September. Two males entered the premises with their faces covered. The men gained entry to the staff area of the premises and forced staff to open a safe. The suspects then left the premises with a quantity of cash and fled on foot in the direction of Burke Street in Feathered. So we have two suspects. One was a male wearing a grey hoodie and blue jeans. He's described as being heavy build. The second suspect is described as being male also, a bit taller than the first suspect, wearing a green hoodie, black shorts, and he's described as slim or medium build. Mm. They're appealing, we're appealing for anyone who may have been in the area and seen the males in and around Burke Street or the square area of Feathered in and around that time, or anyone who witnessed any suspicious behaviour which could be linked to the incident. If we had any drivers in the area that had dash cam footage that were in, we'd ask them to contact us. And we're particularly interested in speaking to a male who was walking a large dog in the Burke Street, Main Street area of the town at that time. He could well, we believe, encounter these individuals. So we're asking anybody who has any information about that robbery there to make contact with us here at Clonmel Garda Station. Must have been so frightening for the people in, in the bookmaker shop there, yeah. Absolutely. Can we move to Tipperary Town then, Margaret? And uh, there's been some arrests made. That's right. Mm. So the first one we have is the Detective Gardee in Tip Town have arrested two males that were involved in a very serious burglary incident that occurred in an estate in the town on the 19th of September. The injured party received non-life-threatening injuries for which he was treated for same in hospital. The detective guardie carried out searches in Limerick and two individuals were arrested, detained and questioned and subsequently charged and are before the courts in relation to that serious burglary. A pub in Cullen then was broken into. 
That's right, between 11.30pm on the 22nd and 8.30am on the 23rd. A pub was broken into in the Cullen area of Tipperary, County Tipperary. A barrel of Guinness was stolen during the time of this break-in and if anyone was in and around that area, please contact us if you have any information. What happened in the Golden area then, Margaret? So, yeah, so we had between 1am and 4am so the early hours of the 22nd of September, sheds attached to two neighbouring houses were broken into in, in Golden. A push lawnmower and a quantity of tools were taken from the sheds and Tipperary Gardaí are appealing for uh, anyone with information to contact them. Right, and also in the Golden area there was another... another That's right, this time uh, the 19th into the 20th of September... A ladder, an angle grinder and various tools were stolen from a container on a building site in the Rathclaheen area of Golden. Again, the Tipperary Town Gardaí are appealing for witnesses to that. Diesel stolen as well in the Dundrum area, I think. That's right. So uh, around ten, half ten at night, the 21st of September, a quantity of diesel was stolen from an excavator which was parked in the Bishop's Wood area of Dundrum. Two cars were seen acting suspiciously in the area at the time and Tipperary Town Gardaí are appealing for any information in respect to the theft. Look, if, if anybody was in and around that area and have dash cam footage, it may well have caught those two suspicious cars and we'd be really interested in seeing that. Now, cars were damaged in, in the Boher Crow area of the town as well. What, what happened there? That's right. In Boher Crow overnight on the 29th into the 30th of September, three cars were scratched while parked at old Boher Crow uh, temporary town. So, look, Fran, that's a mindless act yeah. of vandalism and, you know, causing huge cost to those people who own those cars. We'd, we'd love to solve that. All right. Uh, tell me about the delivery van that was, it was stolen from Main Street, was it? That's right. So 11.30am on the 25th of September, a delivery van, it was obviously delivering in that area. It's con- it and its contents were stolen from Main Street, Tip Town. The van had some contact- contents and were subsequently recovered in the Hyde Road area of Limerick City with one person arrested in respect of it. So, however, the stealing of the van and its contents from Tip Town is still under investigation and we'd be interested in speaking to any my understanding is it's not a decaled van, so there's no markings on it, and it was just um, a large white van. All right, to the Thurless area then, uh, Margaret, and um, interfering in cars in five, five cases, I think. Is That's it? right. So the Guardian Thurless were investigating five cases of interfering with cars in the, in the Thurless area from the middle of September, Fran. A local man in his 20s has been arrested, detained and questioned, and he's been subsequently charged and before the courts in respect of those crimes, which is great work there. What happened in the car park, the underground car park? Yeah, there's a lot of damage in this yeah. car park, Fran. The 22nd of September, Thurlis Gardie received a report of a fire in an underground car park and they attended at the scene. A large fire was extinguished by the fire brigade there, but there was a huge amount of damage to the air conditioning units and the wiring in the underground car park. CCTV has been downloaded and a suspect was identified and the Gardie, while on patrol, arrested or they they located a young woman and she is being considered under the juvenile diversion system the damage there was in excess of five thousand euros so a substantial amount of damage to that car park 
My God, a very worrying incident in Barcelona that resulted in an arrest as well, Margaret. That's right. So the 26th of September in Barcelona, a local man in his 20s was arrested after producing a hatchet and he shouted at two women there and threatened to cause damage. He was arrested, conveyed to Thurlis, and he has been charged as well and is before the courts on the matter. My God, to the Templemore area then and a number of burglaries to tell us about. That's right. The first relates relates to a house which was broken into overnight the 21st into the 22nd in the Richmond area. A small sum of money was stolen and entry was gained via back door. We're looking for anybody who saw anything suspicious in the Richmond area to contact uh, the Templemore or Thurlis Gardee. So in the same area, this time the 26th into the 29th, so over a couple of days, a grey Ramit e-bike was stolen from a shed. Gardaí are hoping somebody might be aware of uh, an e-bike for sale or indeed have any information about that burglary. And that's in the same area, Fran, that's in the Richmond area also. Yes, and there was a final burglary then. In a, is that in a different area to Adamstown, is it? That's right. Adamstown area of Templemore reported to Gardaí on the 3rd of October. A theft occurred in an outhouse and a steel chainsaw was stolen. They're looking to speak to anyone who might have any information about that. Mm. I suppose, look, Fran, we're going to take this opportunity to t- um, just to say to the listeners that the majority of sheds are entered whilst unlocked and remind the public to light up, lock up their property, especially given that the winter creates a certain amount of cover for these opportunistic criminals. Of course. Uh, to the Nina area, then it's that time of year to fireworks, Margaret. That's right. Yeah. So Declan O'Carroll was on to me there yesterday. They seized fireworks on the 27th of September while carrying out a search under warrant in the Ross Grey area. They found a large quantity of fireworks and subsequently seized them. It's important at this time of the year to be aware of the real dangers posed and the real annoyance posed by fireworks for uh, the public in general and pets. And look, we have an awful lot of it in the run-up. It has started down here in the south of the county Mm. as well. So we'd encourage anybody, if if they're aware of where firearms or fireworks are being stored or sold from, to give us a call. Yes, because that's completely illegal, Margaret, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's not uh, legislated for down here at all. Well, we're already getting calls in from people whose dogs have gone missing because of the fireworks already, so it's very unfortunate indeed. It's very unfortunate, and these are real problems for everyday people, and we'd love to hear from anybody who can you know, guide us perhaps um, where fireworks are being sold from because we, we certainly know that this does happen periodically, Fran, and we'd love to hear from anybody mm. in that regard. And at the risk of patronising people, I mean, we hear about accidents where these things are concerned every year, Margaret, you know, so it's important to keep that in mind, isn't it? Absolutely, for sure. Like yeah. personal accidents, but even people throwing fireworks at moving traffic yeah. and all of that. So you can't underestimate uh, the damage that this can cause. For sure. What happened with the car that was stopped in Bird Hill. The 21st of September, Gardaí stopped a car at Bird Hill, which was subsequently found to contain property from a burglary in our neighbouring county, Clare. So two men were arrested and later charged with possession of stolen property in relation to that case. So that was great work again by the Gardaí up in Nina. And the, uh, there was a woman charged as well, was there not? In the, in That's the, right. Yeah. On the 2nd of this month, <coughs> Gardaí were on patrol and they observed a woman acting suspiciously in Nina town. And when they stopped and searched her, she had a large 
quantity of suspected stolen clothing in her possession. The woman was subsequently charged on suspicion of the possession of the stolen property and is due before the courts on that matter. Now your colleagues in North Tip looking for some help with uh, another burglary. That's right. So uh, they're investigating a burglary that occurred in Ballygrade Court Estate on the afternoon of the 29th of September when a number of items were stolen from a house in that area. The Gardaí from Nina are appealing to anyone who may have witnessed anything or anyone suspicious between 3.30pm and 7.30pm that afternoon, the 29th of September. What what happened in the Rear Cross area, Newport area? There? That's right. So there was a couple of attempted break-ins to cars there, Fran. They're investigating an incident from the 28th of September, as you say, Rear Cross, Newport area. It occurred between 1.30am and 2am, so a small window there. There was an attempt made to break into uh, three cars that were in a driveway outside a house and we believe there are two suspects there and they may have been disturbed and left empty-handed, but we'd like to speak to anybody who has any information about that. And Truck Jordan Railway Station, is a theft there? That's right. So we're looking for help in relation to this theft from the Clock Jordan Railway Station on the 23rd of September. It occurred around 12pm in the afternoon and 1.30pm and galvanised steel plates were stolen from the railway station. So that's not an insignificant item to be sure, stealing. Yeah. So we think somebody will have seen that and we'd love them to contact the Guardian Nina. Well, we've been talking about theft from cars for some time at this point. It was some success where that is concerned, yeah. Yes, Declan O'Carroll wants to, to inform the public that they've had some great successes in relation to thefts from cars recently in Nina with a number of men arrested and brought before the courts. Unfortunately, they do have uh, more appeals to make in respect of the last two weeks. The 26th of September, two cars were broken into in Ross Grey. The first happened on the Corville Road overnight, uh, the 26th into the 27th. And the second accord on the same night at Haven Ross Grey. They're appealing again for witnesses. Two or more cars were broken into in Silver Mines area. One happened at Gary Yard Silver Mines when a car was entered and items stolen overnight between the 27th and the 28th of September. And the second happened at Cooleen Silver Mines in the early hours of the same night. So it is ever present that crime. And I cannot reiterate enough most of the cars that we're attending Fran are unlocked are you serious? and oh yeah. that really is um, the key trend that's happening it is the easy picking it's the unlocked car that's been entered and valuable items stolen from it Yeah, Another subject that we keep going back to is, is fraud Margaret and this week is no different I suppose Yes so Declan is always um, pioneering yeah. for uh, people to really keep a keep vigilant in respect to this. The usual fraud keeps occurring, and people are still getting caught by clicking on links from unsolicited text messages and emails. I'm getting phone calls myself. I think I've had three in the last week, and I block the number each time. So when people are clicking on links in the messages, their fraudsters are pretending to be from different financial institutions. So the message is to beware.
Beware indeed. Finally, to, to care and that Honda run, it was uh, deferred, I know, but it's back on this coming Sunday, is it? That's what they're hoping, that mm. it's going to take place in care this Sunday, the 8th of October. As you say, deferred from a few weeks ago due to bad weather. It's a chance to remind everybody to take care on the roads around care and the county and to be sure to give bikers and indeed cyclists extra space as you overtake or pass them. The the garage premises as well at uh, Clonmore in care there. Yes, yeah, so we're just coming to the end here now, Fran. A garage premises at Clonmore Care was broken into in the very early hours of the 26th of September and the office area of that garage was ransacked. The alarm, in fairness, the owner has an alarm and that was activated and we believe that contributed to the intruder or intruders leaving empty-handed. We'd love to hear from anyone who was in that area that may have seen something, mm. a car or any persons acting suspiciously. An unusual one to me to finish with, Margaret, the, the, the licence plate that was stolen. And, and I actually think, Fran, that this is probably, a, you know, it could be way more common. I think people underestimate if there's a reg plate stolen from their car, uh, they may not report it, they may mm. think it has fallen off. But the rear licence plate of a red Mercedes was stolen last Sunday night, the 2nd, into Monday morning, the 3rd of October, at Main Street in Cashel, in around the same time, uh, a second registration plate was stolen from a silver BMW again on Main Street in Cashel. So we'd like to speak to anyone who may have any information about this. And we'd consider that these plates could well be used to facilitate and evade identification for subsequent crime. So we would ask people that if this has happened to you, please report it. Right, so you would take this very seriously, Margaret, obviously. We often yeah. see that uh, plates are used... Uh, on a similar vehicle, but it evades detection because the reg plate will in oftentimes match the vehicle it's been put on, Fran. So we'd encourage anybody who has an incident like this, contact their local guardie. Margaret, always good to talk to you and thanks for making time for us today. Thanks, Margaret. Thank you, Fran. Good, good, good morning to you. That is Sergeant uh, Margaret Kelly there, Sergeant in charge of Clonmel. Uh, Garda Station, 1800 938 Just to remind you again, gardening before the end of the programme. If you have a gardening query, will you log it with us as soon as you can? 083 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie talking about the guy in the Porsche who uh, the rather new Porsche uh, who was using a phone up to his uh, ear, whatever this is it was probably robbed, Fran um, I, I didn't think of that I didn't think of that um, somebody else saying, uh, Fran, you have children using e-scooters, uh, sometimes uh, two of them at the one time, they're on footpaths and roads no high vis, no tax, no insurance, it's absolutely crazy says one of our listeners and we've had quite a few people onto us with various different stories about um, their experience of uh, e-scooters somebody else saying the e-scooters are often used in the footpaths, Fran, I've seen an adult and a child standing in front of the adult on an e-scooter, it is absolutely dangerous, somebody else saying I saw a lady last night she had one of those e-scooters with a seat. There was a little child standing in the front and she was absolutely flying. Somebody else saying it's much safer to have a phone to your ear than texting and driving with your eyes down. 
And that's into us on 0833113311. Now, this month in Tipperary's Hidden History, uh, Conor Reedy travels to the rural communities around Tipperary Town to investigate a murder that the authorities at the time tried to paint as agrarian in nature. Now, ironically, the death of Edward Tracy could have been avoided if the wheel had not come off his ass and cart. The date was Wednesday the 29th of January 1869. 35-year-old small farmer Edward Tracy left his home at Ballynolty at 8 o'clock in the morning. His destination was Tipperary Town. The father of three visited the town on business. This was not a fair day in Tipperary Town. It wasn't a market day, just a regular Wednesday. Among his different jobs of work in the town that day, Edward borrowed £25 from a man named Mara. He used that money to pay another man for the purchase of some meadow for the forthcoming season. This was all quite standard, your typical commercial activity in the agricultural economy of those days. His day was apparently uneventful, with no confrontations, and as sometimes happened when the rural farmer went into any Irish town and business, a small drop of alcohol was taken. But in Edward's case... Apparently not a lot. Edward continued his journey around Tipperary Town. He called into Mara's Chandler shop just before midday. Tracy went away but called back about two o'clock. He told the Mara brothers that he was going home and he shook hands with them. At around three o'clock in the afternoon, Edward was finished his business in Tipperary Town and decided to head home to Ballinolty. Edward travelled by ass and cart. Some way out of town, one of the wheels on the cart let him down and he was forced to seek assistance at the home of Thomas Ryan and his wife at Boher Crow. The only assistance that Edward required from the Ryans was to store his groceries and to park his broken down cart when he went away for assistance. He stored some rope, a shovel, some tea and sugar and a bottle of spirits with Mrs Ryan before he unyoked the donkey and drove him down the road without the cart. The Ryans obliged, and there was nothing more eventful about Edward's short visit to their door. Thomas Ryan and his wife were among the last people to see Edward alive. Sometime after four o'clock, a man named Edmund English was walking through Barronstown. As he was coming out on the road at Grotonstown, he came across the figure of a man lying against the ditch. The immediate area around the stricken victim was covered in blood. Edmund was frightened, and his immediate reaction was not to offer any assistance but to run to the next house down the road. Something told him that offering assistance would be futile at this point. As he ran from the scene, he encountered Edmund Harding and James Lahey and excitedly told them that he saw that man, Tracy, on the side of the road. He believed he was dead. The three men returned together to the fallen Edward Tracy. Edmund Harding crouched beside him and raised his head. The victim was indeed dead. His throat was cut almost from ear to ear. He clutched a walking stick in one hand and another stick lay on the road nearby. Harding later described a scene with so much blood that it looked like a cow had been slaughtered on the spot rather than a human being. The men attempted to search Tracy's pockets but were spooked by the amount and horror of the blood. 
They opened two buttons on his waistcoat and blood gushed out. Harding described going stiff with fright. It's not clear if they were attempting to steal from the dead man. It is likely, however, that their intentions were honourable, because it later transpired that the dead man had a quantity of loose silver in his pocket, as well as a blank cheque for £50. There was no apparent attempt to steal this money, so it seems that theft was not the motive for this attack. The victim's face was quite cold, and he wore a thin cravat below the wound across his neck. A portion of the cravat had become embedded in the wound. Edmund English and James Lahey agreed to wait with the body as Edmund Harding hurried away to report the news to Jasper Bolton, a justice of the peace who lived just 240 yards away. On his way to fetch Bolton, he called to John Travis at the lodge and told him what had happened. Harding returned with Bolton around half an hour later. It was after Bolton's arrival that the process of the justice system took over this situation. Bolton sent word to the Menard Constabulary and a force of police officers was soon at the scene. By six o'clock, the news of the killing reached Tipperary Town and a further contingent of policemen under the leadership of Sub-Inspector Saville made their way to the area. Dr Nadine from Tipperary arrived at the scene between 7 and 7.30 that evening. Remember, this was the end of January and was quite likely a dark, desolate and unforgiving scene. The doctor later described arriving to see the dead man who was lying on the roadside near the back lodge of Ballycastine House. He found a large wound inflicted by a sharp instrument such as a knife or a razor. It was extended from a little below and in front of the jawbone, across the front of the throat to the opposite angle of the jaw. The larynx was opened and the carotid artery and jugular vein were divided. There were no other marks on the victim's body apart from a slight scratch to the forehead and one on the little finger of the left hand. Despite experiencing such a horrific death, the victim actually suffered very little violence apart from the fatal wound. It may be that he was taken by surprise and had no time to defend himself or fight back in any way. In fact, the doctor believed that the wound was probably administered by someone standing on the right side and behind the victim. The throat was cut from left to right. A large-scale search of the region was underway, with all of the constabulary officers remaining out all night. Soon after the doctor's initial investigation was completed at the scene, the body of Edward Tracy was taken to his own house for the final time. The overnight search led to the arrest of two men, named Andrew Carroll and Michael Byrne, who were neighbours of Edward Tracy. It appears that the only grounds for their arrest was that they were known to be on unfriendly terms with the deceased. Tracy had been involved in lawsuits against both of them at one time or another. Byrne was in Tipperary Town at the same time as Tracy on the day of the murder and remained there for some time after the ill-fated man departed. An inquest was held in front of the coroner T.J. Morrissey the next day and it failed to apportion blame upon any individual. That early stage there was no suspect or suspects. The inquest jury found that, and I quote, Edward Tracy came by his death at Grotenstown on the 27th of January 1869 by having his throat cut by some person or persons unknown. Unquote. The proceeding ended and the evidence failed to throw any light on what was later described as a mysterious and frightful tragedy. Andrew Carroll and Michael Byrne were released from custody because there was absolutely no evidence to justify their continued detention. Or was there? That would seem to have been the end of this sorry saga, 
but for the fact that the police investigation continued. Although the only suspects in this case, and the word suspects is used advisedly here, were discharged after the inquest, the police, in the person of Sub-Inspector Saville, were not satisfied. At some point subsequent to his release from custody, Constable Hugh Hughes re-arrested Michael Byrne on suspicion of the murder of Edward Tracy. Everything in the case, from a public perspective at least, went silent until late January that same year, 1869, and Michael Byrne appeared at the Summer Assizes in Clonmel, indicted for the murder of Edward Tracy. There were a few standout witnesses in the case that the Crown attempted to mount against Michael Byrne. Johanna Reardon lived near Byrne, and they travelled together to Tipperary Town on the day of the murder. She was related to Byrne by marriage. She and Byrne were also on their own personal errands in the town and spent much of those hours together, including a visit to Mara's shop. On their journey home, they picked up a young man named Edward Frewen at a spot called Massey's Hollow. They gave him a lift home on their ass and cart. About a quarter of a mile along the road, they passed Edward Tracy. They saw another man pass him, but didn't know the identity of that individual. There were many witnesses to Johanna and Michael's journey home that day, and she was interrogated at length. Essentially, one of the key pieces of evidence against Michael Byrne was that his cart passed the victim on the road in the time just before he was murdered. It seems that the Crown chose to hang their case on a couple of factors, neither of which added up to any solid evidence against the accused man. Edward Tracy's wife testified that her husband and the defendant shared land side by side on the estate of Major Gasson. The last time she saw her husband and Byrne scolding, as she put it, was about three months earlier. Each man was standing on his own land, speaking in angry tones to one another across the boundary. She confirmed that her husband Edward was not a violent man, although he did strike her once. On another occasion, he found fault with the way she had prepared dinner for a servant. But thankfully, he didn't strike her that day. One of their key witnesses was Professor Blythe from Queen's College, Cork. He was an expert in chemistry and was called in as an expert witness on blood spatters found on the trousers of Michael Byrne, confiscated from his home on the night of the murder. Unfortunately for the prosecution, he could not confirm that much of the blood was necessarily fresh. Some of it could have been present for up to four or five weeks. Much of it was definitely from living mammals, but he could not confirm if this was human or animal. Other reddish hues that were speculated to be blood may actually have been earth or clay. He wasn't very helpful to the Crown's case. Another prosecution witness was Daniel Conway, and his job was to try and inject some sort of commercial motive for the killing of Edward Tracy. Conway testified that he was doing some business for Major Gasson, on whose property Tracy and Michael Byrne lived. There was much disagreement among the different parties during the previous four years over things like trespassing and land occupancy. Conway tried to act as some sort of mediator or go-between. He was, after all, a land agent for Major Gasson. The parties would not agree to anything he suggested, however. One of the points of disagreement was the land vacated by a man named Lahey. Both Burns and Tracy wanted the land, and Conway suggested they divide it. Neither side would agree to this, so the land was given to somebody else. Conway confirmed that he knew the defendant, Michael Byrne, for quite a long time. 26 witnesses were examined in the case. This was probably quite a high number as 19th century rural murder trials went in Ireland. We must remember that a case did not always proceed in court along the lines with which we might be familiar today, either in person or 
watching on television. Before either judge, prosecutor or defence counsel could address the jury, they made it known that they had already reached their verdict. Their minds were made up. There was a flurry of discussion between the bench and the two sides as to whether or not the jury should be charged, as was the usual procedure by the court. The foreman suddenly announced that Michael Byrne would be acquitted of the murder of Edward Tracy. After a bit more over and back between the parties, this was formalised. The judge announced that he agreed entirely with the verdict of the jury. He concurred that the prosecution had put forward every bit of evidence that they could by way of thoroughly investigating the case, including material favourable to the accused. Unfortunately for the prosecution, none of it added up to anything more than grave suspicion, and therefore there was no need for a guilty verdict. All of this begs the question, why bring the case in the first place? And I'm afraid that the answer to that question must remain forever buried alongside Edward Tracy as part of Tipperary's hidden history. And that's the great Dr. Connor Reedy there with uh, this week's episode of Tipperary's Hidden History. We'll be talking gardening in just a few moments. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Liam, thanks very much indeed for the funny. Uh, it's very funny, but I better not read it out in case we give anybody ideas out there. But th- thank you so much for the giggle. Uh, let's talk gardening and glad to be joined as usual by Elton Nesbitt. Good morning to you, Elton. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to talk to you today. The containers, I suppose, shall we look at them because it's that time of year, isn't it? It is, really, because uh, a lot of the things are kind of nearly fading now, a lot of the summer summer yeah. plants. And so it's it's lovely. Um, I mean, and, and things have come on really well, even um, in late summer. Uh, like the begonias and even the dahlias have given a really good display. But they're starting to fade now, and it's, it's nice to start um, kind of freshening them up and and, and having more colour right through into the autumn, going uh, going into the winter really. So um, I I love this time of year because there's such a variety of plants that you can put into your containers to either have colour or lovely, lovely scent off them as well. So things like, um, there's lovely types of plants that are are quite good, that have good foliage. And and these are the eucreas. Now, the eucrea is like a a herbaceous perennial plant, really. But it has this lovely um, uh, either bronze or marmalade type colored leaves or even um, uh, yellow as well. And these are fantastic in containers that you can leave um, for, for years and years and they'll still give you really good colour uh, throughout the, the, the winter, as also um, into the summer as well. Now, these are, are um, uh, plants that are good combination with, with the eucreas. Things like um, the Senecio, um, um angel wings, or even the lovely Carex Evergold. The Carex Evergold is a lovely type of grass, and that has lovely bright golden foliage out of it, and that kind of spills over the side of the containers. Or even the, the lovely Skimia japonica, is, and the Skimia's, are a lovely plant, really, because, I mean, they also have lovely flowers as well as the lovely deep red berries on them as well. And skimmies are, are quite an easy plant to grow as long as they're put into an, an ericaceous compost, a kind of an aesthetic compost. Almost like, you know, you'd have lovely camellias as well. Yes. The camellia donation. Which is lovely pink flowering camellia. And they're lovely acid-loving plants. Or even the lovely Pierce forest flames. These are lovely evergreen shrubs. 
that will, will be lovely right through the winter months um, um, uh, and in, into the spring as well. Now, with the with the um, uh, camellias and the skimmias and even the pierre's forest flames, it's good to kind of uh, give them a good feed. Um, and these are kind of almost like standout plants. They're, 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 you give them a kind of an ericaceous feed, something like this question of iron. But they're, they're plants that are, are good at, on your patio or at either side of a door as well. Because in the wintertime, when you get the, dull, the doldrums of, of the winters, it gets kind of very dark and, and dismal. It's nice to have something lovely, bright foliage on it or even good flowers as well. And with the, with the players for them, they'll have a lovely white, almost um, lily of the valley type flowers out of them. But also in the springtime, then they have this lovely red, new leaves turn lovely bright red on it as well. So that's why it's called Flame of the Forest. It has almost like these flames coming out, out, out of the bush itself, which is particularly nice. Other plants then that are very good for to have berries on them uh, are things like the lovely pernetias. And, and these are lovely bright um, uh, berried plants. And pernetias, again, um, will have them lovely bright pink or, or red or even white as well. And these are lovely in, in either your window boxes or your hanging baskets as well. A thing, called, thing for a lovely, lovely scent then um, at either side of the doorway is a thing called Hamamillus mollus. Now, this is a lovely witch hazel. Um, and it has almost these like spidery type flowers out of them. And you can get them in kind of a, a burnt orange or a yellow or even a red flower from it. But one or two twigs of that... If you cut one or two twigs off, off the shrub itself and bring it into the, the hallway uh, during, during uh, the winter months, the perfume of that will scent the whole house. It's just a magnificent scent of it. Really, really, um, a almost hypnotic type of a scent of it, really. It's, it's quite strong. Other things then, which is quite good as well, are um, the uh, 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 cyclamens. Mm. Now, cyclamens are very good um, flowering plants. Cyclamens and primroses, violas and pansies, and even the lovely scented wallflowers are lovely in containers to plant now as well. So, I mean, have a kind of combination of these plants in your containers and, and hanging baskets and window boxes. Even there's a lovely thing called Bellis perellis, which is a, a lovely um, daisy-type flower. Um, and these are lovely um, if you underplant with spring bulbs. Things like the dwarf tetetet daffodils or even the dwarf tulips are quite good to underplant and then top plant with the bellus, forget-me-not, violas and pansies and wallflowers to give that lovely, lovely display right through the whole um, winter. The lovely thing as well that we have, um, even as individual plants that you can put in, is um, and they're quite showy, uh, are the chrysanthemums. These are big chrysanthemum balls and they're massive, massive flowers, actually millions of flowers mm. that come out, come out in them. And if you keep deadheading them, they keep producing loads of flowers right up to Christmas as well. So again, I mean, really you should have as much colour in the winter months as you do during the, during the, the summer yes. as well. And as much scent, as you say, and sometimes it's something we forget about, but I mean, that, I just love that from plants and flowers. Yeah, that, that and scent, control, yeah. control like the, the hyacinths, the yeah. hyacinth balls yeah. that you can do. You can sew them into containers and have them in the, on the hall table, or even outside, outside, outside the doorway. Just have the lovely scent off it as, as your guests arrive. Um, it, it, it just makes it magical. And it, oh, there's a lovely thing called paper whites. And so the paper white uh, daffodils, and they're a lovely double white, um, creamy white daffodil that gives lovely, lovely scent off them as well. Uh, lots of questions in for you as usual Alton, somebody wants to know I think we had this question as well last week but we didn't get to it um, when is a good time to move a flowering current and how to go, go about it what exactly is that by the way yeah, uh, flowering current is Ribes sanguinium it's a lovely um, uh, uh, ornamental current 
that has um, a mass of either pink or red flowers that come out in it in the springtime. It's quite an easy plant to grow, actually, and, and, and actually grows very easy from cuttings. Now, you can almost have a hedge of, of um, the flowering currant. It's particularly nice. Um, King Edward is quite a common variety. It's, it's, a, it's a nice, uh, large uh, panicle of, of, of flowers that come out in it uh, in, in, in the springtime. So, um, Rive is thinking you can, you can lift, lift that uh, once it goes into the dormant state. So, um, just in the next couple of weeks, once the leaves fall off it um, and it goes into a dormant state. So, kind of uh, uh, September to, to March is a good time to move it and try and get as much of a root ball as possible with it when you transplant it. Um, they grow quite easily. So, I mean, plant at the same depth as what it was at, uh, watered well uh, after transplanting it and even give it a slight uh, just a light feed of uh, a sequestered iron just to kind of give it a good start um quite an easy shrub to grow and, and very very lovely with um if you ever have a thing called forsythia or spirea uh with it uh, they're a good combination together so you'll have the massive pink or red flowers of the ribes and then the yellow flowers of the forsythia and the lovely white flowers of the spirea so they're good plants to, to plant together well, listeners concerned about black spots on roses the leaves are turning yellow just wondering why yeah really at this time of the year yeah. a lot of things will kind of go, will will die back naturally and you're going to get an awful lot of rust and and, and black spot on the roses um really uh, what i would tend to do is kind of pinch off any really bad affected leaves that are on the roses at the moment and um, just just get rid of them uh, then rake any leaves that are on the base of of the, of the shrub rose so that there's no spores getting back onto the new leaves on it um uh, as a good feed to do is um, even just an, an ordinary feed of um, uh, 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 top rose fertiliser, just at the very base of the roses. And this has added magnesium in it. And with added magnesium, um, it gives it more disease resistance to black spot. Um, roses, are again, are, they're, they're amazing, really, because I mean, there's, there's just kind of there's a second flush of flowers coming on them now. I have a lovely Albertine rose, and it's coming into flower even now at the moment, which is very unusual. But uh, again, keep deadheading them. Uh, just to prolong the flowering of them. Uh, this is more like a, a crossword puzzle, this one. A listener was on to say, I have an unknown plant in my garden. I'm not sure if it came in on the wind or a bird feeder. Uh, I first noticed it a couple of years ago. It never flowers. It self-seeds and it grows to about um, 110 centimetres. Um, please advise any detail on its name or care. Hopefully it's not some invasive uh, weed. Um, I'm not sure if there's enough detail for you to identify yeah. that, Alton. Well, well, there, there's, there is some uh, quite invasive species that, that that can come into your garden, um, and you do have to be kind of wary of them. Yeah. Um, even things like horsetail or, or um, even the, the ground elder and things like that, they do do spread quite quite quickly uh, through your garden. Or even don't you know, the bindweed is a quite common one as well. But but you have you have to be uh, make sure that it doesn't spread any further. So don't allow it to go in, in, into uh, flower um, and um, if it is uh, something like knotweed or, or even um, a Japanese knotweed, which is quite a, a one that's coming mm-hmm. in a massive white flowers at the moment, but you have to really uh, try and get your local council to, to, to yes. check it out um, and, and to eradicate it um, if it does spread. But really, if she comes in to me and, and, and even gives me a leaf of it, I'll know I'll be able to identify it for her. Excellent, excellent indeed. Ask Alton if box hedge disease is a problem here yet, and if so, how can we treat it? Uh, it is starting to creep in. in is it? Yeah. A couple, couple of years. Um, it, it has been an awful problem over in England, all right, um, in the milder, milder conditions. 
So, so really, um, it's just starting to, to come in here, but not not as bad now. I have to say, um, but if you do get some box blight on on the the box hedging, um, we have a top boxes um, uh, tablet that you dissolve in a litre of water, um, and that you spray that onto the foliage. It's like a fungicidal uh, as well as um, a feed foliar feed that gives it more disease resistance to any blight that may be attacking it. So again, try and get rid of any any foliage that's badly affected on the box hedge or. On, on your on, on the box um, and try and shake off any of the the, the, the bad leaves of it. Spray it with the top boxes um, spray uh, on top of the foliage and that will, will keep it nice and clean. It's a good idea is to feed it um, uh, as well at the very base of the hedge, either with the poultimier fertiliser, which is quite good, that just gives it more vigour and, and, and more um, growth. Never prune your box um, any later than uh, the middle of May. Because what happens is if you prune it um, too late, let's say at this time of the year, it kind of exposes it to kind of frost damage. So you, you need as much um, foliage cover over the box as much as possible over the winter months. So it's not under any stress at all. So always prune um, uh, in the middle of May just to, to, to shape them. Alton, always good to talk to you and happy gardening. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's Alton Nesbitt there, our horticulturalist uh, speaking to us uh, this morning. Now, apologies to those listeners. Um, that we didn't get to your queries but we will hang on to them and we'll put them to Alton next time round. That's it for me Emma produced, Ali looks after our content, Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel on the Lunchtime Show and I'll speak to you tomorrow. You look after yourselves won't you Bye bye Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on You can't beat experience With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie